Hello, and welcome to episode 259 of Smarts, which as we all know stands for Superhero Movie Advances Right to Streaming. Whoa, that's a good one. My name is Rediger Q Podcaster, a.k.a. Trevor, and your name is... Julia Gulia of Internet Fame Dash Podcaster. Correct. (laughs) So as my... Yes, news. News. As the acronym intimated, Hmm. uh, Wonder Woman 1984 is going to be debuting day and date on Christmas Day on HBO Max in 4K, which is the first time something will be 4K on HBO Max, at the same time as it's released in theaters. Obviously, the theatrical release will be somewhat limited, especially in In the U.S. US. Um, But you'll be able to stream it from the comfort of your own home on Christmas Day. That's amazing. Which is what we'll be doing. Yep. Date night. Very exciting. Yeah, that's going to be amazing. I'm glad that um, um, they're not pushing it off until basically next year, right? Because... Well, it had already been delayed the better part of a year. I mean, it's tricky because like we want to see these things as soon as possible. Right. But... They, they're taking a huge financial hit because it's not going to make nearly as much money if they just... I mean, they're releasing it in theaters too, mm-hmm. but they're not going to... I mean, they're like, well, if we hold off another year, yeah. we could make all the money or we could release it now and make 10% of the money. Like, yeah. what what do you do? But obviously, you can't keep delaying things forever. Right. I mean, at this point, we're like... And year, theaters are completely hard hit as it is Well, yeah. Right now. I mean, you don't want to be like Marvel. Uh, well, maybe. I don't know. I mean, they have, they've got their rationale, but basically delay everything that's marvel related for a year basically mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. we've had a year where there's been no no marvel movies at all right um because of that so i don't know i mean i kind of hope that we get more things like this but i also don't want these companies to take a huge financial loss on these movies because then they'll make fewer of them so i don't know but i mean i do want to see them sooner i I wish that marvel would put black widow on disney plus for a premium fee because we would pay it and watch it but mm-hmm. they don't really show any signs of doing that so right. i don't know but this is exciting at least so in, in just a few weeks we'll get to watch it yep so there's some cw news okay um so in addition to supergirl ending after this season it was announced that black lightning will end as of season four yeah that um, one hit me like a like a brick truck which is too bad i did see some people say that it does feel like it's not really built to be the kind of show that kind of goes on forever with a new villain every year like say flash or arrow were it feels like you know t- why i don't know it feels like more of like one continuous narrative like because it's not like there's a new big villain every year it's been a build-up of the asa and the mm-hmm. 100 basically over right. the and course the of three, three yeah. seasons it's all been one story and it kind of feels like we're maybe like in second act land now about mm-hmm. to go, kind of go into third act. It's not like every season is like a fresh start, like the flash or whatever, even though there's some carryover. Yeah. Every season has a new big bad. This, this hasn't been that. Mm-hmm. So if any of the current shows is going to have a shorter run, it kind of feels like it's more appropriate. Cause mm. do you want them to him to be fighting Tobias whale for eight years? You know, it's, yeah, that's, no, it would seem like a little not, much. Yeah. So, and we know they have that, the now the, what we talked about, Last time with that painkiller spinoff being in development makes a lot more sense because mm-hmm. you could move at least one, maybe more of the characters over to that. And the showrunner and a lot of the people behind the camera would get to move over to that. Mm-hmm. So you kind of mm-hmm. have that smooth transition. So now I think it's a lot more likely that that will get picked up because yep. it's literally replacing something as opposed to being additive. Right, right. Um, the other CW news we have this week that you don't know about, this was just announced yesterday, uh, that David Ramsey, who of course plays John, played John mm-hmm. Diggle on Arrow – is returning to the Arrowverse uh-huh. um, for, a spe- for a special Green group Island. of five episodes. Uh-huh. These f- so it's interesting because I think that this Green was maybe Lantern. like, well, so it, it, there's a couple of facets to this. 
Um, he's going to be directing and acting in these episodes. Awesome. So he's going to be directing. A, I'm not sure if he's directing all five because that would be a lot to do in a yeah. short period of time. Um, but 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 maybe it would be possible if they if they because these are going to be episodes of a bunch of different shows. I think they said Supergirl, Superman and Lois, Flash, Batwoman and Legends. So which, he's doing wow. He's basically he, doing like Beyond Hat Trick. He's so covering he's, almost all the. He's appearing in like pretty he's much. He's doing a one man crossover. He's appearing in all of the shows that are currently being made in Vancouver. That's amazing. Um, yeah. And I'm not sure if he's directing all five. It would be feasible if these guest appearances are spaced out. Like if they're yeah, if they're if there's all time in for one if they're all in one week, yeah, not no, possible. Probably. If they're a month apart, possible. possible. Like his appearances could be like mm-hmm. a continuing thread throughout the whole season of all of these shows, okay. leading to something. Okay. Now, so what's, tell in, me, tell what's me. interesting is in the press release they said that the fi- the final of the five episodes will be a Legends episode, and who he'll be. This is I forget exactly how it was phrased, but it was something like who he'll be playing in the Legends episode is currently being kept under wraps. Ooh. So, I mean, everybody immediately assumes Green Lantern. Green Lantern. But I don't know why you would have to be coy about that because you could still just say he's playing John Diggle in all five episodes. The Green Lantern thing would still be a surprise. By saying it that way, Mm -hmm. aren't you kind of giving it away? At least that's what everybody's going to assume. So, I mean, maybe it's not Green Lantern. Maybe he's going to be playing an alternate universe or alternate timeline John Diggle and it'll be like a fun one-off thing. And that's what they mean by he's not playing. Because they didn't say he's not yeah, playing exactly, John Diggle. Exactly. They say exactly who he's playing is not, we're not talking about yet or something like right. that, right? Everybody's assuming Green Lantern that would certainly fit more in Legends than it would in any of the other shows, mm-hmm. just in terms of scale. Mm-hmm. Um, although, I mean, one could certainly argue that it would work just fine on Supergirl or Superman and Lois also. Yeah. Or Flash, for that matter. Um, so I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, this it's this reminds me of certain things that I mean, the comics do this sometimes. But I me- I remember there was one thing way back in the Silver Age when um, they introduced Satana for the first time, and she appeared in a bunch of different comics over the course of like a year or so. She appeared in Hawkman, I think, in one of the Batman mm-hmm. comics, and then it all led up to her appearing in in Justice League, and it was the culmination of a big storyline where she was searching for her father. Yep. So they sort of had a couple of guest appearances here and there, and then it led to like a big storyline in the biggest of the books. Mm-hmm. So it, it's kind of it reminds me of that. I mean, I'm speculating about what this is going to be about, but if they are leading to something big like Green Lantern, having him show up in a few different shows as he's like maybe he's searching for something or he's trying to learn about mm-hmm. like the supposed supposedly the ring that we saw him get in the last episode of Arrow. Mm-hmm. Um like it'd be cool. Like you, you don't. It'd be cool if you just had him show up and he's Green Lantern. But I don't know. It'd be super cool if they do what it seems like they're doing and you build it up over the course of like a whole season. Like mm-hmm. if they do space them out so he can direct all of them, and it becomes like a running. Especially since we know they're not doing a big crossover this year. They're doing like a smaller scale, mm-hmm. like Superman and Lois, Batwoman, to like two parter or something yeah. like that. If instead this becomes like the season long thing is like Diggle Search or something. Maybe they come up with a better name for that, <laughs> where he just appears. every couple of months he pops up in a different show yeah and he gets another piece of the puzzle like you know what i mean Mm -hmm. maybe it's like the kyle rayner thing where he gets this thing but he doesn't quite know what it is or or how how it how to use it yeah yeah so he goes to superman and lois and superman's like oh yeah i've heard of these green lanterns you can go here and then he Mm -hmm. goes over you know what i mean like it could be that kind of thing right you know but if that's it then you're you'd kind of have to give away the green lantern thing early on yeah because you'd you can't be coy about what he's searching for for four of the five episodes. Right, right, right. So I don't know. But I mean, it's super cool that they're doing this. I mean, they did say both, both he and 
the producers said that, you know, Diggle's story is not over, that he's keen to keep playing mm-hmm. the character mm-hmm. and they want to find a place for him in the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, if it wasn't likely that Legends is probably ending soon because they were going into season six or something like that, so it doesn't probably have that much longer left. Mm-hmm. I would say that that's probably if he does become Green Lantern and they want to make him a series regular somewhere, that would probably be the most logical mm-hmm. place for him. I mean, he did say they're moving to Metropolis, mm-hmm. so you instantly say, "Oh, is he going to appear in the Superman and Lois show?" Maybe that'll be the first of these appearances, and that'll kick it off. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what they were planning for. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I mean, we know they're doing a Green Lantern show on HBO Max. Mm-hmm. I I really suspect that the HBO Max shows are going to be separate from the Arrowverse because mm-hmm. they. I mean, technically. I mean, it depends on how you define Arrowverse, right? Like, literally, Crisis had a brief shot of the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern movie in there. Yeah. As well as shots of Titans and Doom Patrol, albeit Mm -hmm. all of those are on alternate Earths. Does that make them part of the Arrowverse? I mean, by that logic, the Tim Burton Batman movies are part of the Arrowverse, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So it depends how you define it. But I really don't think that there's going to be much carryover between the HBO Max shows and the Arrowverse. And I don't think they're going to want to have, like, a a John Diggle-led Green Lantern show on the CW at the same time as there's a Green Lantern show on HBO Max, mm-hmm. especially since I think Jon Stewart is going to be in that one too. So, or maybe I'm thinking of the movie they're doing, but there's going to be a lot of Green Lantern stuff. So I don't know. Something tells me that they're not going to want to make like Green Lantern a regular on one of these shows. And if you make Green Lantern a regular on the Superman show, then I feel like it kind of steals his thunder, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So Legends would be the place for him, but I feel like Legends is probably winding down. So. I don't know. But anyway, it's super cool that they're doing this. If he just continues to guest appear in like arcs and big crossovers yeah. for the next few years, and that way he, the actor can be free to pursue other stuff, like if he's interested in directing more and acting less or yeah, whatever, yeah. then that's super cool too. I just, I, I hope that, I'd love to see more from some of these, like you know, I know, throw too. Roy or Thea in there somewhere, right? Or yeah. now that all the Arrow, ca- or, or you know, we're still, we're still waiting to see if green arrow and the canaries is picked up still it's I been know. like a year since we I heard know. anything about that i understand why they're they're holding off on a decision because of covid and everything but i feel like even if that doesn't if that doesn't get picked up then is that put- the name of the show green arrow and the canaries yeah. or was it no green arrow and the canaries yeah green arrow are you sure yeah what do you think it was well i don't know i thought green arrow was you know dead no because it's it's uh mia in the future remember are you forgetting uh, they, they yes, did the backdoor pilot yeah, and everything? Yeah. No, I remember the backdoor pilot, and I so stupid. I I remembered that she was in that backdoor pilot that they were, yeah. But I just I forgot that they were called and the canaries, um, with the green arrow. Yeah, 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 yeah. But if that doesn't get picked up, then I hope they find a place for those characters too. And legends again would make the most sense because they're in the future. So I know, they could but go pick them that up. That would be one giant cast unless they got rid of. Well, more not cast all members. of them. I think they'd have to pick one or maybe two. Like yeah. I feel like if you have to pick one. Mia makes the most sense because she's gotten way less. Like, we've already seen several seasons of The Others, right? Where she's a newer mm-hmm. character. She deserves to have some time for her own stories. Plus, she's literally Green Arrow. Like, it would be cool to have the Green Arrow, like the new yeah. Green Arrow on Legends or something, yeah. right? Yeah. But again, Legends is kind of... I, I feel like everybody's saying Legends is winding down. Maybe that's just speculation. Because, I mean, I feel like that show could go on forever. You just keep cycling through right. n- new superheroes, right? Yeah, keep right? it fresh like Doctor Who. Maybe you just do a reboot where, like, Legends ends, but they come up with a new team-based show with a diff- slightly different premise or something. Yeah. But I feel like having a team-based show on the network where you can throw in characters from all the other shows just makes sense. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we'll see what they do. Um, yeah, but that's it for the news. Wow, good so, bit of news. So what was your comic of the week? This week I had oh, I had a three-way tie, but thankfully you chose to pick one of them. So to, to save on time, I'm going to have one pick and one 
seriously tied like for real but honorable mention um in name only because all of these comics are amazing so hellblazer um the the wrap-up issue for the hellblazer series was so good the the run on hellblazer that ended with basically john constantine uh killing himself in service of this great plan and then finding out that he was the father which we suspected from last issue of the um mute um young boy that's been hanging out with him um um that you know he basically saved from a gang life um it's just yeah, it's just been a, a it was a really good roller coaster ride and a wrap up issue and I don't want to spoil the ending cuz it was so tremendous that I mean it just it's begging for a sequel or some pickup after that. You don't want to spoil it except to say that he kills himself and he's the father of the <laughs> the boy. Other well, than that, you don't want to Those say. things? No, 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 no. But the ending ending? All right, fair enough. You know what I mean? Like the ending ending ending? Because that part, yeah, the, the stuff. Oh, it's don't so spoilers, good. but uh, don't get too attached. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to ProZD. Anyway, um, then my honorable mention in name only was, I can't remember. Oh, no. Suicide Squad number Thank 11. you. Yes, the wrap-up issue of the Suicide Squad run. Oh, my God. So many ending issues this week. And it's just, it was so difficult. I kid you not. It was so difficult to choose just one. But this one with um, the aftermath of uh, Deadshot being dead um, and the wrap-up um, of, <laughs> oh, my God, the wrap-up of the situation with the, the country and the girl blowing up and Zebra Man coming uh, to the rescue and then Jog waking up because we didn't know that he had some extra... Literally the son of Seriously. the Black Racer from, from the Fourth World. Amazing, amazing. And so it's we like didn't he's the son of death, basically. Yeah, and then that... <laughs> so he, he, he wakes up because he's basically part God and uninhibited now. He, now that he knows who he is or, you know you know that that he's more he's not just you know he he's like the flash basically he can go anywhere for longer stretches of time faster even um he's basically the flash which is hilarious to see him running with a chubby belly that that was pretty amusing but honestly like the wrap-up issue of that it was so satisfying and um and also the after party uh, of everything oh and i got a, a special special place in my heart for <laughs> for the following lines um your, your mom just spanked Bathman. <laughs> it's the best. Bathman. Bathman? I accidentally said Bathman. <laughs> There's something wrong with my head. Batman. Your mom spanked Batman. I know it's the best. <laughs> it's so good because the president, oh my God, the president shreds Batman to, to ribbons and mwah, just mwah, beautiful. Um, yeah, so I had to pick that one for my comic of the week. And then you picked my third, <laughs> third tie <laughs> issue. Your leavings. My my leavings? You stop it with your leavings. We discussed this. Okay. No. So I picked the other history of the DC Universe number one. Which, which for the record about on, what made me cry like three times. Which we've talked so about on the show before when it was first announced and then it took forever to come out. And now it's finally coming out. Uh, written oh, by uh, Academy Award winner John Ridley and illustrated not entirely by Giuseppe Comuncoli, which I'm surprised by because that, that's all the only guy anybody was talking about in the interviews. But it, he did like the layouts and the roughs and then another artist whose name I can't remember did the finishes, which is unusual, kind of, which I is very kind of that. analogous to pencils and inks, but nah. gives even more weight to the latter because it's more like sketches and f full pencils than inks as opposed yeah. to just, you know what I mean? 
So I don't know why this other artist is not, not being mentioned in interviews. That's kind of a bummer. Um, I mean, they're credited, obviously, full, right there on the cover. But whenever you talk to John Ridley, he's like, oh, just up and coming call. He's doing the front. I mean, a lot of it does go to, because the layouts yeah. are incredible in yeah. this, right? Yeah. And it's hard to do and still leave room for all the text and everything. It really it's no is, small yeah. job. It's probably too much to expect, because again, it's like, 50 pages mm -hmm. of that mm -hmm. basically 50 full page splashes with intricate layouts you know mm -hmm. every couple of months or so, and they've been working on it for a long time obviously but i understand why it can't all be wasn't all done by one artist i'm just a little surprised so um, good. but it basically follows um it's first person uh, from black lightning from his childhood or at least reflecting back on his childhood as an adult uh focusing mainly on like the five or so years of mm -hmm. his like um adult like early adulthood through, you know, the ending of his sort of first stint as Black Lightning, encompassing his, you know, the beginning of his teaching career mm -hmm. and, and his Olympic career and then his teaching career, mm -hmm. meeting his future wife, having his kids, going mm -hmm. up against the 100, being part of the Outsiders, encountering characters like the Justice League and mm -hmm. the, the famous Justice League issue where they give him this test to see if he's... Yeah. Um, uh, up to being a member mm -hmm. and he turns them down just like he does in the original comics very very good attention to detail and i mean they fudge the timeline a little bit because they're trying to make it take place kind of in real time mm -hmm. which obviously the original comics didn't and then characters like his daughters mm -hmm. were retconned in in like the 90s or 2000s mm -hmm. they weren't in the original comics so all of right. that is you know retconned as well as obviously adding a lot more you know realistic stuff Texture, into yeah, there than they yeah. were than they were allowed to do in the 70s oh, in terms so of the, fantastic. you know the the actual toll that of you know gang life and things like that um really really well done um i i expected i would really like it but i think this was this was excellent i think that if all five issues are like this are this good i think this is going to go down as like one of the a best. really like a seminal work um one thing that i think i was thinking about this that i think maybe my favorite thing about this was I like the fact that it's first person. I love it. But I think that it was done really well because he he grows and realizes some of his flaws by the end of this. Mm -hmm. But it's not afraid to paint him in an unflattering light mm -hmm. because he's wrong for so much of this, right? Like mm -hmm. when you think about it, like he he and his flaw, and I've, I've seen John Ridley talk about this in interviews, and this is what he was trying to get across. His flaw is his in, his inflexibility. Mm. And what he mm -hmm. said was, you know, he's, I don't know his exact age, so maybe he didn't grow up in this era. Certainly he wasn't an adult in this era like Jefferson Pierce was, mm -hmm. which is to say the 70s and so on. But he's known people in his family and, you know, older people in his, you know, circle. in his circle that were like black men growing up in the 60s and 70s yeah. and the kind of people they had to be yeah. to, to like stay alive and to get ahead in the world. Like they had to be tough, right? Mm -hmm. And he says that as he looks at people like that, one thing he sees in common in them is that they can be very set in their ways and inflexible because they've had to hold fast to certain things just to get by, right? And it can lead to that sort of inflexibility. Mm -hmm. So when you look at someone like Jefferson Pierce, you can understand how he comes by that attitude. Yep. But I like the many ways in this big and small that it shows that it costs him and that he's actually in the wrong. Like obviously it costs him his family, yes. right? But he's, at least at first, unwilling to accept much of the blame for that. Right. Right? But when you look at it, why is that? It's the classic superhero thing. Well, he, he didn't let her in. Right? right. It's that whole thing. Mm -hmm. yep. But even then, there's a bunch of other little ways, too. Like, the way his the way he comes to snap judgments about people. Mm -hmm. And you see that about Jon Stewart. 
about Vixen, about the Justice League. Like, we know these... About the student Dwight. Right. Well, that's another one I was going to pick up, but just keeping it to the superheroes. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, he said, oh, this John Stewart, he's like the token... He's letting himself be the... Forgive me for being somewhat blunt in this language, but this is some of the language that's used in the book. He's letting himself be like the token black man Mm -hmm. in the superhero community. He's the backup Green Lantern. He's not even the main guy. Right. He's walking around like this, thinking he's better than everybody else, Mm -hmm. right? He comes to that snap judgment because of his own experiences and his own prejudices. Mm -hmm. And it's only by the end that he gets to know him better, he realizes how wrong he was. The Justice League, Superman particularly, because Superman's suicide slum is like a burrow of Metropolis or Mm -hmm. something. And and yes, when that was retconned in, that suicide slum is like this terrible part of your... Like, wait, there's a terrible part of Metropolis? Why isn't Superman... Like, it doesn't make much sense Mm because it was retconned in, right? Mm -hmm. But when 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 you tell a story where that has always been the case, then yeah, it would be easy for Jefferson Pierce to look at Superman and be like... You dare to come here and tell me that I'm a vigilante and I don't live up to your standards. Mm-hmm. You go back to your either actually help me fix things here or go back to your shining city and let me do my work. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he looks at Superman and the other Justice League heroes as being they don't care about the little guy. They're just off. But, you know, from our perspective, who know who know these people really well, mm-hmm. we're like, yeah, maybe they could do more. But when we when we read a Justice League story, we understand why they don't want to get drawn into international politics. Right. We understand why their focus is where... where I mean, Batman does plenty for the average person on the street. Yeah. But the Justice League's job is it doesn't matter if you if you stop a mugger on the street, if the friggin' earth is blown up by Despero or something, right? You right. need somebody to fight those battles. And he, he probably understands that consciously, but he's so he wrapped up in his it, right. own world mm-hmm. that he can't help but be angry at them for it. Even right. though rationally, it, it it's completely understandable right. why they were focused would need to be where it is. And then, like and you rationally, said, he does explain that way. He says, uh, "So I'll just right, let but them in fight such their a way that it's, yeah, it's clear he's still seething about it." Yes. Right? Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. again, it's understandable. It, it it makes him understandable and relatable, but so so really flawed. And again, this boy Dwight, where he's this really smart guy mm-hmm. and everybody likes him mm-hmm. he gets good grades mm-hmm. and he's really athletic but he's not he, he's not a man in the way that Jefferson thinks that a, a young black man has to become a man in mm-hmm. order to like survive mm-hmm. and get ahead right yep. and so he he pushes him and he pushes him and he doesn't he doesn't help him when he gets knocked around he's like right. no I gotta let him stand up for himself and his mother comes to him and asks for help and he's like no don't you understand why I'm treating him the way I am so I'm teaching him to be a man and she just gives him this look and leaves mm-hmm. and then we learn that he, she had him transferred to this magnet school mm-hmm. in Metropolis mm-hmm. and Jefferson has this line which is almost chilling when you read it mm-hmm. like unless you're like really subscribed to his way of thinking which is like it's a shame to see when when parents don't know what's best for their kids or something yeah, like that yeah. and you're like man like who? where do you come off like yeah. I understand why he would say that but man that's to, to, to write that for this character like you're really not afraid to let the readers dislike the character because that's yeah. a really dislikable thing and it's so but funny again, it's because and then later you see well let me just finish my thought later you see that that guy and he's grown up and he's like mm-hmm. and he's made something of himself he's confident he's, clear, he's successful he's clearly he's... gone about it in a way that jefferson through a route that jefferson would not have picked for him Mm -hmm. and yet he's become every bit the person that jefferson would have hoped and jefferson goes up to him and like he doesn't try to take credit for it but it's clearly because we're reading his inner monologue he's like oh maybe because i pushed him as much like this was at Mm -hmm. least a small part in who he is but this guy doesn't even want to give jefferson the time of day all he has is these bad memories of how this teacher made his life hell in high school and wouldn't help him right yeah and it's like but jefferson doesn't have that um he, he can't reflect on himself enough to realize that oh, this guy became something of himself, not because of me, but despite me, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Or mm-hmm. at least I'm taking way too much credit in my own mind for how he became who he is, right? Right. But he thinks he's, it's like the very definition of his way or the highway, right? Like everybody has to be a superhero. You know, you're only being a superhero the right way if you do it his way, 
like you've got to be on the streets 100 percent. you got to be willing to crack some skulls you can't worry about these you know right, right. you got to be a superhero his way mm-hmm. you got to be a teacher his way you've got to be a black man his way and mm-hmm. if you're and you got to be you know if you're mm-hmm. not doing it his way then you're doing it wrong and he doesn't have any time for you right mm-hmm. and he he's he learned some lessons by the end of this but his story is not over here because presumably it'll be capped by the fifth book which will take place some 20 or 30 years later and we'll focus on Anissa and mm-hmm. we'll get to see where he is much later in his life. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to that. Um, presumably we'll see less of him in the interim books, although presumably the one that's about Katana will feature him somewhat because they were in The Outsiders together. In The Outsiders, together. yeah. Um, but I, that's what I really like about it is that oftentimes these, um, I don't know, these black label books by big name creators kind of like vanity projects for lack of a better term by Frank Miller or Scott Snyder mm-hmm. or Jeff Johns. Mm-hmm. You know, they they... They're either like gritty, they're like deconstructionist for the sake of being like, oh, I'm going to show you the seamy underbelly of X, Y, and Z. Or they're like, this is going to be my ultimate Superman story or my ultimate Batman story. Like like Snyder's Batman The Last Night on Earth Mm -hmm. was like, as most Scott Snyder Batman stories are, mostly about how awesome Batman is, Mm -hmm. which is fine. But like, if you're John Ridley and you're writing about like one of the, I guess these days you'd probably have to say like Black Panther is obviously the most iconic Mm -hmm. African, uh, he's not African-American, is he African, Black superhero in the world and probably rightly so but black lightning was one of the first i think Mm -hmm. black panther was first but black lightning was one of the first and certainly the most influential earliest one at dc Mm -hmm. to come in and write this character who means so much to john ridley personally because i read about like how much he meant to him personally but to come in and write him this way yeah is very daring you know Mm -hmm. it's like if you like i'm not sure i could if i was given a chance oh write a superman comic write the superman comic i'm not sure i would have the guts to like nor would i want to necessarily be this unflattering to him you know like this is my only chance to write like my favorite character am i gonna like really tear him down wow you know what i mean yeah but to be true to the text you kind of have to be because it's in the canon Mm -hmm. that he turned the justice league down right Mm -hmm. that he was that he didn't wasn't there when his kids grew up really that he you know like yeah so unless you're going to change history and this isn't about this series isn't about changing history it's about showing the side of history from the perspective of these minority characters that we didn't see mm-hmm. in the 60s, 70s, 80s because comics weren't really written from their perspective. No. Even when the, they were the stars of their series, their own series, they were mostly being written by white men yeah. who didn't have the quote-unquote correct perspective. So, yeah, they, no, you can't, yeah. But he's even said, like, Tony Isabella, who created Black Lightning, is white, mm-hmm. which I'm not sure you even knew. Um, and, he, and so he says it's tricky because you don't want to say, like, he, this is someone who gave... A, a great character to the world and to the black community. Mm-hmm. And so when people say, oh, well, you need an authentic voice to write a character, like, you know, we, we've seen it and we've seen it a lot these days and mm-hmm. it's a good thing, right? You should get a female director to direct Wonder Woman or Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. You should get a Hispanic showrunner to run the new Wonder Girl series that's mm-hmm. going to have a Hispanic, right? Mm-hmm. You should get someone gay to play or, or non-straight to play Kate Kane mm-hmm. or whatever on because that's authentic. Mm-hmm. But you can't necessarily retroactively hold that standard to the past, right? right because yeah. everybody writing comics in the 70s was a white man. Yeah. Is that to say that the characters who they created that weren't... I mean, Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster created Lois Lane 80 years ago. Yeah. Lois Lane is one of the best characters in comics. Right. Should we disregard that just because they weren't women? Like, did they not know how to create a woman, a lasting, enduring, positive female character? Clearly, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. So it's tricky. And he, he goes into that in some interviews. It's really interesting stuff. But I think that it's... It's kind of, it's tricky because, I don't know, like, is he going back and creating, creating, like, now, finally, we get the authentic Black Lightning. Mm. It's like, 
it's just 50 years after he was created. Was right. he been inauthentic up to now just because he's written he's been written by mostly white creators? Mm-hmm. So it's sort of a tricky um, tension mm-hmm. in in mm-hmm. the in the the context of these things that I think is interesting. And he's and he says in interviews like he doesn't want to invalidate any of that other stuff. He right. thinks that people can. I mean, one of my great one of the my favorite Wonder Woman writers is Greg Rucka, right? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. And most of the Wonder Woman writers and artists have been men because it's only the past 10 or 15 years or so that we've gotten more female creators like Gail Simone and G. Willow Wilson writing the character. Right. So I don't know. I just think it's an interesting thing and it's an interesting tension here. And when he gets, and he says he himself is going to be guilty, quote unquote guilty of this because he's not an Asian woman and yet he's going to be writing about Katana. Right. He's not a Hispanic lesbian and yet he's going to be writing about Renee Montoya. Right. right? So just because he's in his wheelhouse, for lack of a better term, for this first issue, right. he's going to be straying out of that comfort zone later on. And so he's like, he feels like you need to allow be, right. people There's to f- write, you know, I mean, you're writing, you're, you're writing Star Wars. It's like, oh, I'm not an alien, so I don't know how to write. I mean, obviously, that's a hyperbolic, <laughs> that's hyperbolic example. Yeah. But, but still, it's interesting in the context of this to sort of think about. It's, it's sort of an interesting facet of it right. you know because he's not trying to invalidate that past stuff he's just trying to add more color to it for lack mm-hmm. of a, for lack of a better term um so i don't know i think it's interesting but just like on the face of it as a, as a piece of work it was just really well it was really so well written good. really there well there were so, so many moments where i teared up yeah so many little so lines and real. moments that are just and one of the things that i thought was was most the other thing that i thought was most striking about it is how He's not afraid to just move on. Like you, yep. he's like a, a plot element is raised, or character does something or says something, and you're like, "Oh, I want more about that." Like, tell me what happens next to this kid, mm-hmm. or tell me what happens next in his marriage, or tell me. And you turn the page, and nope, it's nope. like a year later, and you don't, you know, maybe that element comes back, maybe <laughs> it doesn't, but it's, you know, yeah, it's very much like, yeah, sometimes you don't find out what happened to that thing, or sometimes right. when you're reading a first person account of something, they're just going to gloss over something that you would like to know more about, yep. and maybe that reveals something about who they are that they don't want to talk more about that thing, you know. Mm. I think I think it's really interesting that it's i think it was a really smart choice to have it done from a first person perspective even though it's going to get kind of weird if because every issue is going to be a different first person perspective so yeah. so he's got to be every bit as deft at writing from inside the head of other, of other those other characters, characters yeah. as he does about jefferson Pierce, a, a character he's grown is, up you know reading about that's what i love about writing though it lets you empathize it forces you, a, a good writer or somebody who really cares about the craft will practice empathizing from different people's point of view unless you want to write two-dimensional flat stereotypical characters you actually spend time as a writer thinking about the motives of other people of of people with different stories different backgrounds different experiences different different lives different um, origins you know you spend time considering what what would a person like that probably say probably think what well, if this person had xyz life experiences and from xyz kind of home from xyz kind of culture from xyz kind of experience like what would they say what would they think what maybe this particular person would do this if their humor is closer to this they would do this you know you spend time mulling over these ideas just as, just as a person being but also as a writer who's trying to craft a story where it's important to capture that kind of experience and to to tell a story and to to find a lesson in that kind of um, story it's it's so awesome and it lets you be an empathetic person I think uh, practicing that kind of empathy in your writing makes you be a better human to be honest so I I loved this story so much and I'm very 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 keen to read the next issues because it was just so so human so raw so real so good it, like it's making me tear up just remembering reading it it's so good 
So, so, so good. So should we move on to your activity? I'm ready. Okay, so this week, because of some of the stuff we talked about in our news, I thought we would do a thing where we would, it's more of an activity, we would pick one character, so three shows on the CW that either have ended or are ending. So Arrow, Supergirl, and Black Lightning. Okay. From each of those shows, I want us each to pick one character okay. whose story we would like to see continue oh. in some other venue. <laughs> and, and you can't say Supergirl or Black Lightning, right? Like, obviously, the okay. star, presumably the stars no. of those shows are not going to continue. Although, yeah. it's obviously not outside the realm of possibility that we'll see Supergirl guest star on Superman and Lois a couple of times sure. in the next few years. Or Black Lightning appear in the Painkiller pilot or whatever. Obviously, it's not outside the but they're not, But they're not going to have Supergirl. They're not ending Supergirl only to have Melissa Benoist become... Supergirl in a different show. Supergirl sure. on Legends of Tomorrow. Right, That's right. just not going to happen. So realistically, pick one of the non-top billing people from each of those three shows to continue. So okay. I, I feel like for my part... Arrow, I feel like Diggle is the one from Arrow. So I feel like it's good that they're doing seemingly what yeah. they're doing with him. Not just because of where they ended his character arc, mm-hmm. or where they the note they ended him on with the I whole know. Green Lantern tease. Ah. But I feel like every other character, I mean, maybe Black Siren, because she's, oh, she's I feel so like she has still she still has more arc, but we're still hoping we're going to get that in Green Arrow and the Canaries. I hope so too. Yeah. Um, and I'm yes, you could say, and yes, you could those. say Mia for the same reason that her story yeah. feel like it's just starting. But again, hopefully, we're going to get that in Green Arrow. And the exactly. Canaries. So of and the Dinah. of the like I you know like other twelve people that have been regulars over the course of the you know, yeah. Dinah, um, Wild Dog, right? Yeah. Um, Thea, mm-hmm. Tommy, Moira, Malcolm Merlin. Like, what? Who? Who would you like? Whose story do you feel like still has more? You know, a, f- a few more episodes or a few more years worth of stories left in it for those three so i diggle would be my choice for arrow do, do you i i love the same diggle. one or i love diggle i think i would yeah okay i'm gonna i'm gonna pick diggle too because like you said like there was a backdoor pilot there is a whole other story being set up for the uh um, green arrow and the and the black canaries and those three women i would love to follow in their own series even if we don't get that series picked up though i feel like dinah has kind of had, she's had several years. She's had she her time. Has, yeah. Laurel has been there since the beginning. Laurel Granted, has this had is an a different arc. Laurel, but that actress has kind of had. Oh, yeah. She had, her, she had, had her, her run. She had yeah. her chance. Mia is just starting out. But I, I really feel like if Green Arrow and the Canaries hasn't picked up, they'd slot Mia in in Legends or something. Because yeah. I feel like they spent so much time Building setting that character setting up to not actually see her be Green Arrow for more than like one or two episodes would be a waste. So I, I'm assuming we're going to see more of her at least. That, but that's why I'm picking I think Diggle, Diggle is a choice. D- Diggle is a good choice. Yeah. What about Supergirl? Supergirl, I am torn between brainiac and dreamer and uh, yeah you know i what? thought you would say dreamer i think dreamer I'm i can't imagine brainy feels like yeah his arc ends when he goes back to the legion or something now if you want to do a yeah. legion spinoff i'm all there for that i know I'm right not, i can't picture them spot slotted because what are you gonna do? you can put him in legends like he and gideon feel like uh, there's too much i wanted to catch up although with... that would be a funny scene but i feel like there'd be too much redundancy there like you don't need brainy and gideon you know and yeah, where else would you put him so um what was the kid's name uh wesley uh, his father was toy man and then in an alternate oh, universe he was uh, toy man win 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 not wes yeah win um yeah but i feel like he's like kind to, of no, had if his we do arc, a legion thing you know? i know like he's I, a man do, he's got a right. kid now yep. you know what i mean if we do a legion thing i would love to see more of him that's all i was gonna say yeah. Um, but no, no, no. My pick is Dreamer. I'd love a what Legion spinoff with Monel and and uh, all, and all those oh, characters. It's so a good. Are you yeah, kidding? I love Even Imra and everything. Yeah. Bring um, it on. So your pick is Dreamer then. Yep. Um, Martian Manhunter. I feel Ooh, like good I feel like you could put Martian Manhunter anywhere. He'd be the perfect character to have like appear as a guest star every so often and be like the wise old mentor yeah. type, um, or be like a, he he's called in as like a. a 
backup like because he's super powerful like oh we need we need help you know fighting flash needs help fighting this guy get martian man under in here because he's really strong can do all these things right and i feel like putting him on legends would again like that's i feel like we keep saying oh they could put him on legends but that's just because that's been like (laughs) i'm gonna say dumping ground but that's been like the end point for so many one-off or recurring characters that they don't have any other place for Mm -hmm. and having someone who's very much like a moral straight arrow guy right. on Legends with all these goof-offs could mm-hmm. be the source of a lot of humor and it could let him maybe play a, light, a bit of a lighter. Not that he hasn't had moments of levity, but seeing him like maybe loosen up and be a little goofier, I feel mm-hmm. like he could do a really great job mm-hmm. with that, right? Um, I think that would be a lot of fun. But w- whether it's there or in one of the other shows or just have him have like a recurrent, recurring guest spot on the Superman show yep. because he and Superman have known each other for a long time, obviously. Right. That would be great, too. I right. think, But that would be my pick for him. And again, and I feel like no small part of that is the fact that, again, at the end of Crisis, they set up this Justice League. And now we keep <laughs> we keep losing members of this Justice League. We've lost Kate, we've lost Kara, and now we're losing Jefferson, right? Yep. yep. So I feel like if we lose Jean also, we're down to, like, Barry, Sarah, and Superman. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you could sub in other new people, like anybody who gets a show is going to be probably on that team because that's is painkiller going to be in the justice league so because so far it's just the head of every show right right right. i don't know um but i feel like you can keep him at the very least have him show up for the crossovers to be like because he can't have a justice league without martian manhunter that would just that would just be wrong right um so that'd be my pick there and then black lightning so assuming we're not going to see assuming you can't pick black lightning and assuming we're still going to get wood so i'm curious now if you if we didn't know there was going to be maybe a painkiller spinoff would painkiller would would khalil have been your choice You know who would be my choice? You're going to say one of the girls, right? Jennifer. Jennifer. Specifically Jennifer. You know why? Because I feel like Anissa is amazing and Grace is amazing, but I feel like um, they have got their lives kind of figured out. Even though great, we, when we left off with Grace, and I'm glad we're getting another season because hopefully we get some resolution on this, but when we left off with Grace, she was still sort of, she was coming to uh, own her powers a little bit more and you know, starting to figure that out. And that's her journey. You know, that's the arc that she's been, uh, that she's been on for as long as we've known her. Like that's kind of her, been her thing. Like she's been out of control and then she went into hiding for a while and then she was unreachable and unfindable. And then finally they found each other again and it's been lovely. And then they got married and then the world ended and then completely forgot about that. They got married, didn't they? They did, yeah. Did they or did it get interrupted at the last moment? Were they? I know they were going to get married. I remember that scene. But did it actually happen, or did it get interrupted like every other superhero wedding does? I can't remember. I think it got interrupted. At any rate, we could probably assume that it doesn't matter. But Jennifer has more stories to be told. Like she's been on amazing arcs, but I feel like there's more. Yeah. mm, I feel like she's got more growing to do, and especially with Painkiller leaving, like she has to figure out what she's going to do next, and that would be very interesting to see. So So that's my pick. That would have been my pick too. I think it's. Probably not going to happen because I I remember reading. That, I'm worried about her. Like well, a mom. If Black, <laughs> if, if Black Lightning wasn't going to end the season, she was going to leave the show. Like oh, she yeah. she didn't want to be on the show anymore for for really? whatever reason. I don't know why. She didn't say. She, she's like, oh, people who know me know why I w- I'm leaving and so on. Oh, like that. No. So I don't know what how much of a part that played in the show ending. I can't imagine they would have she's ended the so whole good, show though. just because she oh. wanted to leave. Okay. I mean, obviously, it would be a very different show if one of his daughters wasn't there anymore. But right. I feel like you could. You wouldn't end the show for that reason. You wouldn't end that show for any reason other than creative I mean, reasons or, or um, I'm blanking on the name of the actor that plays Jefferson. 
help me out here. Cress Williams. Cress Williams. Yeah. You wouldn't leave that show unless it was a decision from the higher ups. It was a creative decision from the showrunners, or Cress Williams wanted to leave. You right. wouldn't. You wouldn't end it because one of the no. I mean, everything else you can write up, write it out. Especially since Jennifer is the one that's sort of like in love with Khalil, yeah, and he's going off. But that's on his why own I think spin-off. you're probably not going to see that character again. Oh, unless I'm she really changes her mind or something. I don't know what it is. Like maybe she had oh. a bad onset experience one time. I mean, or she could have. What's his name? Um, the the Henderson or the lifelong friend. Did I get his right name right? Yeah, Inspector Henderson. That was weird because they, they kind of unceremoniously and, killed his character off and, and didn't, tell him, didn't tell him ahead of time that they were going to kill his really? character. Really? Is that how it's it like, happened? It's like, here's the script. Whoops, guess I'm dead. Well, at least to hear him tell it. That's what it is. It's really? That, but and we even remember when we watched the episode, we're like, we were this like, really feels like it this came out like, of nowhere. Because like, we suspected, I mean, we were theorizing back then when that happened that uh, he was the one that wanted to leave. And then, and then before that episode dropped, he tweeted about it. So he basically spoiled that. He, yeah, that, which is not the hey, kind of thing nice you do if it was... to be a part of the show for this long. Yeah, it's and not then the kind of thing you do dropped. if it was like a if it was like a really cordial, like, ha- happy parting between actor and show. You know what yeah. I mean? So maybe there's something weird going on behind the scenes and maybe that's part of the reason why it's ending. But... But it sounds like you've got some more background information since then. All I know is that she had some Instagram posts he. where she's like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to be... He. I'm done playing... No, well, from him, it was just like that tweet. But I'm talking to the actress that plays Jennifer. It was just oh. like an Instagram post where she's like... You know, even before the show was announced that it was ending, she's like, this will be my last season on Black Lightning. You know, people who, who are in my life and know me know know why I'm saying that. And for everybody else, you know, you'll just have to wonder whatever. Like, this typically vague sort of thing. But It's kind of a shame. It really reads as if there's some sort of... She's not this, oh, I want to, I, I thank my friends on Black Lightning right. and I want to go pursue other acting opportunities. He feels like she wanted out of there for some reason. Who well, knows? Well, that stinks. You know why? But it could that, be her. It could be the show. Me, I don't know. Well, no, because now you've got multiple actors who are unhappy on set. That's not good. That's a bad formula. And yeah, it, that, it, that, that tells me that there's something going on in the in the environment of making this show that's not a good work environment and when you're spending 20 hours a day <laughs> I mean sometimes there's just sometimes there's just a bad fit like the Ruby yeah. Rose thing which I'm, we'll probably never know the true story by most accounts seems like it was just a bad fit and she kind of got herself into a position that she maybe shouldn't have but maybe right. the showrunner should have been like but that was far more like she stuck it out for the whole year like she must have realized it after well, a week and the one. actress I keep saying the actress plays I think her name is China Ann McClain and she played yeah. she's, she stuck it out for four years Assuming and she that did all the press things problem. and stuff like like <laughs> she did problems, right so but she was so good too I don't know. and it I, seemed like she got along with all of her castmates so that's what makes me think that there's yeah, something it's always hard it. to say I mean sometimes great know. shows can have acrimonious you know that's so heartbreaking like in the original Star Trek where like nobody liked each other in the original Star Trek you know what I mean like nobody liked William Shatner well that's because he was a bit of a yeah Um, he was a bit of a nose in the and air yet, kind of you know, person. And yeah, classic show. So, and, you know, and sometimes yeah. people are like kind of too stuck up for their own. I don't say this is the case, but sometimes someone's like so full of themselves and it's only years later. It they're like, I should have realized could, what a great. Yeah. Like when Will Wheaton left TNG, like he was the first one to say like he got his head filled with all sorts of notions about how he was better than this show. Right. And he should go on and do these other things. And then like years later, he's like, why did I ever leave that show? Yeah. Like that was my home. That's where I belong. Yeah. Or like I should, I really wanted to be part of that world for as long as possible. I shouldn't have let myself get talked into it. Yeah. So sometimes people get, you know, or, or like, you know, well, Denise Crosby was, losing TNG yeah. or, or, um, or, um, God, I'm terrible with names today. The actress that played Diane on Cheers, right? Like the whole thing was like, oh, she left to pursue a movie career, right? Oh, like, Christy Alley. No, that was Rebecca on Cheers. Whoops. Um, Diane. Oh, um, she- Shelley Long. Shelley. I kept wanting to say Shirley. Yeah. Shelley Long. She's yeah. like, yeah, she probably shouldn't have like, cause, but yeah, she, she was good on that show too. Yeah. Well, like, yeah, everybody's good on Cheers. <laughs> I mean, True. yeah, it's so, like that kind of thing. So you never really know. Anyway, we should, we should move on cause we don't really have any further information. But I just wanted <laughs> yeah. to say that if your if your hope, your, if your great hope was that Jennifer is going to have a five season run on Legends of Tomorrow, I would, 
I would, I would curtail well, those hopes. Well, hold on. My hope is not entirely dead yet because I shouted out to the universe. Um, different shows have different working environments. Yeah, but is so she going to move her... to Vancouver from Georgia? That's the problem Maybe. with any of the people from Black Lightning <laughs> appearing on the other shows is they would need to completely uproot their life for at least like eight months out of the year, right? So it just it's less likely, I feel like. China, we'll please move. China, just, please. You can imagine what please, it is. So just just the... the the huge <laughs> undertaking it was to even get Chris Williams in Crisis on Infinite Earths for 10 minutes, right? It required like a huge amount of work. And just to, and obviously over time, it would be less work if he literally moved to Vancouver. It was only a yeah. huge amount of work because they had to get him there and back in like a weekend. Yeah. But still, like it's it's a big ask, obviously. So um, should we move on to our shows? Yes. So we have two episodes of The Mandalorian and Star Trek Discovery each. So we'll probably be taking kind of a, a high, high well i was saying Strap we can, in, folks. can take a high level view here so the mandalorian oh, right, we okay. had uh, <laughs> chapter 12 the siege and then chapter 13 the jedi oh so good so chapter 12 the siege was not my favorite episode i thought it was there, there were good parts but this is the whole one where he goes back to navarro i know and he and um you speak your piece i'll speak mine yeah he and he and uh i'm forgetting that i'm forgetting the names of all the characters grief karga and um I can't remember. Cara, Cara Dune. Dune. Yeah. Um, Which is funny because she sounds like the Kanan Dune from uh, Well, you're Rebels. you're you're mashing two of his names Am together. I? You have to create a name that doesn't exist. <laughs> but right. they, they go on their little siege run on this Imperial Fortress and they encounter this mystery with these sort of whatever is in vats and we learn mm-hmm. like what the child was being used for mm-hmm. and then... So it was good. I mean, it was an enjoyable episode. I, I did feel though that there were like... To, to me, I remember watching it and thinking... The pacing and so kind of like it, what it reminded me of was when we saw uh, the Suicide Squad movie in theaters, which is a movie oh, okay. that had way too many cooks in the editing room. Ooh. Like it had several different people like go through. Oh, I you, felt tonal you, you, you re-edit. Oh, we don't like that. You so re-edit that. It was just so like no so. cut, cut. It's like the pros. No cut, cut to me. What are you doing? Like, but I was watching this and like. Wait, that's why, the second time we've why, mentioned Prozzi. Why didn't this you cut there? And I'm like, wait, yeah. why are you holding? Their lines are done. Cut to this, or like, why are you holding so long in this establishing shot? It just felt, it felt weird. And mm. I'm like, who directed this? This is like, and it's Carl, it's, Carl it's competently yeah. done, but there's just a lot of little things where I'm like, that feels ever so slightly amateurish or or ouch, just just unpracticed, right? Like so, and so I don't know how much directing experience he's had, but all I know is I didn't read going into this. Oh, first time director Carl Weathers. I had no idea who directed this. Right, one. right. It could have been John Favreau for all I know. But sure. I remember looking. I remember watching it and thinking, "There's some weird stuff in the pacing here. What's going on?" And then I saw Carl Weathers at the end, and I get. I don't know. Maybe he's directing. Been directing for thirty years, and his just his directing style is not my cup of tea. I don't know what. But I just it was something that that made me not enjoy it to its fullest oh okay that's but a bummer that, i mean that's, that's and for my piece i really enjoyed it i thought it was i noticed that it was different um and i was really impressed that it was carl weathers who directed it and spent a lot of time on screen as well because that is not easy to pull off and i that took probably crazy amounts of work to be able to do um i liked it I didn't bump on anything in particular. I didn't bump on any pacing issues that you mentioned. In fact, I still I, I was shocked when you brought it up, and I was and I still kind of am like I don't really see what you what you're talking about. But you know, like different we we just see it differently. Well, the one all. the one example I, that I can point to that I feel like is as objectively incorrect as anything you could point to is that I feel like he he overused the wipes 
that George, oh, Uca- George yes. Lucas made okay. part of the visual language of yeah, Star Wars in the first movie. Mm-hmm. But Lucas would use them in very specific ways, usually scene transitions, like, oh, we're cutting from Luke on Dagobah mm-hmm. to Han and Leia on Cloud City or something sure. like that. Yeah. You do a wipe or one of one variety or the other. Here, it would be like the characters would run around a corner, there'd be a wipe, and then they'd come around the other side of the corner. Yeah. Why did you do a wipe there? Just cut. Like that. Yeah. That is objectively not the way the visual language of Star Wars works. Yeah, that's fair. That's a very that's fair the closest thing. And I the pacing stuff it, I, I pointed to earlier it, but... is like maybe that's just like subjective. But I feel like this is objectively not the way. Yeah. You, so you use a you wipe. use that. You in used Star it wrong. <laughs> like. So I so that that's, that's the closest fair. thing I can point to. And there were a couple of times where I did that. I'm like, why just, why just cut? Do? Like yeah. that's just a cut. Like it's just it's down the hallway. You're not, you're not cutting <laughs> to the other side of the galaxy. Like yeah. just, that's not the way Lucas Or a different team working Lucas in the would same use building it. or something. Lucas yeah. would use, I mean I remember I can probably come up with a bunch of instances off the but he would either use it to connote the passage of time, like R2 and 3PO split up on Tatooine and then there's a wipe and now mm-hmm. it's R two going down Beggar's Canyon, but it's nighttime now. Yeah, right? yeah. Um or you cut from like like I said like Luke on Dagobah to Han and Leia on Cloud City, so to connote either either a great amount of time and or a great, a great amount, amount of, of distance. distance. Yeah, and that's generally in film the way you use a special kind of transition. Not right. that those are used too much anymore now; they're very much sort of a relic of the past. They and are. Lucas was using them to evoke the sort of old movie serials and things like that. But yep. that's the way they were they've always been used. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so I feel like Weathers was like, oh. Star Wars. Star Wars uses lots of wipes. Yeah. And there was nobody there to say, well, Carl, yes, but only in very specific, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You can't just, everything can't be a wipe. It's like, All wasn't right. there a thing in like in The Simpsons or Family Guy or something where Homer or Peter Griffin got the job directing something? You just want everything to be a star wipe every single time. Like, oh, and then we'll star that's wipe great. to this and then star wipe to this. It's like, because that's his a- favorite transition there was a there was a, a good goof on um overuse of wipes too in in the avengers movie when uh they did a what was it it was like a, a montage dedicated to tony stark after he passed away and it was like pr- made and edited by oh, high, high in, schoolers in, uh, in far from home where yeah. it was the one that was edited yeah. with like the with love C- celine to... dion song in the background yeah yeah, that's yeah. Right, that yeah. was so good wipes wipes for everything every transition every shot yeah yeah it, that was that was um it's like some clutch. handed Car- Car- handed carl weathers like windows movie maker and he's like well <laughs> oh look at this i gotta put all of it's these like, in there it defaulted I've done it that defaulted before. to wipe I... <laughs> and he didn't know how to change it or something i don't know when i got when i got a copy of uh, this is just a personal story but when i was about 16 17 i sat down on our, the first computer we ever took home it came with a, a ver- uh, like a primitive version of Carl of, Weathers <laughs> of avid editing software it was just on the machine and I played with it and there was one project that I made using every single wipe <laughs> it was ridiculous every, it was that, un, unviewable it was every, terrible use every part of the avid buffalo yeah, yes that's, the way you do that's it. what I did um, I used every part but the next episode the Jedi so this is obviously the main event yeah the people have been waiting for for like even before the season premiere yeah. it's like oh Boba Fett's gonna show up and did you hear that maybe Ahsoka Tano's gonna show yeah. up and she's gonna be played by Rosario Dawson and yeah. it's like everybody was being coy about it and indeed <laughs> the episode opens and it's I love, can I just interrupt for a moment? It was beautiful to me. I thought for sure, oh, they're not going to reveal her until the last, the last minute. Well, that was the speculation that, oh, maybe she'll show up at the very, very end or something, right? No, first shot. 
first well, shot. I was Hi. Like, this is the one written and directed by Dave Filoni. Yeah. Can, is is there a world in which this is not th- this episode is not the bulk of the Ahsoka screen time for this? There season? was only one criticism about that particular scene that I had because I understood why she was running around in fog. I understood why her lightsabers were facing forward when only in the in the end when the fight turned serious in that episode it, she she flipped it back in the classic Ahsoka stance where she holds it kind of backwards. Um, I understood that she's skilled enough. These people are these these uh, criminals and the funny masks are um, are low rent to her. She doesn't really need to put that much exertion and effort into it. But there was one moment where I would have done one thing a little differently. When she kind of broke that guy's done a neck. wipe. Yes. No, when she's, oh, she uses the force for uh, triangulating one of the two bad guys and then she cuts the tree and takes out the other bad guy. What I would have done is I would have had three bad guys. I would have used one bad guy to fly across in that same frame. I would have fling him across to, uh, to get the other bad guy. Yeah, you know but what in I mean? Wars, like, I would have loved that. You kind of have to suspend your, dis- like, realistically, a Jedi would just use the force for everything and not really have to ever... And then go do near the their tree. opponent. But I that, know, that but then be... do the cool tree thing with the third bad guy. Yeah. That's what I would have done. It's kind of like, oh, why didn't they use their super speed or their super jump or the things? No, no, we... no, 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 no. Stop, stop. That's not what I'm saying. She, in that moment, she used the force. It was great. I'm glad that she, they didn't over abuse the force. Um, that was great. I, I 100% agree with you that, yes, they probably in real life would just use the force for everything. Like, hey, force pour me a cup of coffee, force pour me some, you know, whatever. Um, but no, I'm saying that in the moment when she did use the force, she used it to snap one guy's neck and then she used you know the tree trick to take out the other bad guy but i would have the way they framed it was perfectly set up to see in the background out of focus one guy flung into the other guy that would have been so perfect and i thought that's what it was going to do but i, I think they know. were just trying to not be too showy Maybe. with her initially and just have it be like super quick especially for people that would have been quick <laughs> watching this who weren't familiar with the character like yeah, trying yeah, to yeah. keep her like you barely you don't get to see her a lot in any of these shots like right. she's in and she's out yeah you know maybe they just i yeah. think he was trying to go for a certain kind of thing it's just um, a note. I, I loved it every minute, top to bit, but, top to bottom. I mean, just before we talk about the portrayal itself, obviously we get some in- interesting information here. So we yes. find out that the child's name is Grogu, mm-hmm. which, which has become a meme already. Like, that's a dumb name, but whatever. And all Star Wars. Why is everybody saying that? That's well, the baby's name. Just a, leave it alone. It is a dumb name, but all names in Star it's Wars are dumb. It's not a dumb name. All, but all names in Star Wars are almost every name yes, in Star Wars either... is dumb, but you get used to it. Chewie is a dumb name, but yes. you get used to anything. So it's fine. I don't care. I'm just saying, like, I mean, because you build it up for a year and half so he's got some awesome name it's gonna be like yoda jr or something no it's gross it's fine um it's so cute i love that she calls him that and he goes like a little baby responding but then we find that because he's 50 years old he's literally old enough to have been trained on the jedi temple with like yoda and a bunch of other masters yeah multiple but he was secreted away by someone and clearly there's a mystery there he was secreted away by someone and hidden somewhere and lost um, his memory for part from, of a time from the empire. Well, yeah. it wasn't so much that he lost his memory; it's that he he's been living rough for so long that he and he's been trying to sort of keep his powers like instinctually, without even like intellectually realizing he's doing it. Kind of like not use his powers very much mm-hmm. for fear of being discovered. Um, and he was experimented on for who knows how long too, yeah. which is clearly very traumatic. So it's probably some trauma. Not to mention who knows how much of like Order sixty six he had to witness yeah. and being taken away from what little family he had at the Jedi Temple, yeah. and maybe he saw a bunch of the other younglings being cut down by Anakin. Who knows what he saw? Um, so that's all interesting. And then obviously at the end we get um, we get Grand Admiral Thrawn name drop too. Yeah. So Ahsoka is 
you know, and again, this is a whole thing, a whole debate that's going on right now. Like the final scene of Star Wars Rebels might take place either before or after this. But either way, Ahsoka is at this point in her timeline still looking for Grand Admiral Thrawn and presumably still Ezra, Ezra although we don't know that for sure. Who right. knows? Maybe she's found him. And but Thrawn's back now yeah. in the main galaxy and she's looking for him because he's up to something. Is Thrawn the ultimate big bad? Is Thrawn going to be revealed to be pulling Moff Gideon's strings? I, I don't think so. I think that's a setup for some other Ahsoka story that will take place either in animation or in a Rosario Dawson starring spinoff spin yes. of some kind. Who knows? Um, but to talk about Ahsoka herself, I think that Rosario Dawson did a great job here. Mm-hmm. It's clearly, I mean, if you had her playing Ahsoka, obviously she'd be too old, you know, to begin the training. No, <laughs> obviously she'd be too old to play Ahsoka as she was like 15 in Clone Wars or yeah. even like in her 30s in Rebels. But age aside, I feel like having someone different, someone like more mature and just in their bearing, if not necessarily in their years, play the character in, in one of those earlier time periods would be would, would be harder to accept. But because this is a version of her that's substantially older even than she was in Rebels yeah. by a good, almost a good 10 years or by, yeah, almost a good 10 years. Um, I feel like it works more mm-hmm. because any differences in how she carries herself or the way she acts, especially since she's still being written by Dave Filoni, can probably be correctly attributed to like things she's seen and done, experiences she's had, and not just, oh, Rosario Dawson is playing the character differently or quote unquote wrong or whatever, right? right? So yeah. when she's a bit more violent or when she holds her lightsabers differently, or when she sort of, or when her voice sounds a little deeper or something like that. It's like, oh, she's older, she's been through more battles, right? Yep. You can chalk all of it up to that. But the essential, like, Ahsoka-ness of her, like the essential sort of, like, wisdom beyond her years, but, like, empathy and concern for others. um, But still her, I mean, maybe if anything has sort of been sort of... um, Tamp down over the years, I think it's, and this would probably happen naturally to pretty much anybody, but it's kind of like her impetuousness, right? Yep. That she was kind of only like made worse, it was kind of only enabled a lot of times by Anakin because he was almost as bad a lot of times. But I think she's had to like fly under the radar for so long with the Empire being the dominant force in the galaxy for two decades and her trying to not reveal herself as a Jedi. Mm-hmm. And then even when she was part of the Rebel Alliance and kind of out as a Jedi, she was still kind of like their secret weapon and wasn't really being... You know, mm-hmm. she had she has she's had to learn a lot more discipline, self-discipline yep. and a lot more control um, and probably had to learn to be a lot more ruthless at times, too, just to survive. Yep. So it's it's like an older, different version, like wearier version of the character. But you still see through her her portrayal enough of like those essential Ahsoka traits mm-hmm. um, to make it feel like the same character. Like it felt pretty much as seamless to me as you could hope for. And I feel like. If it had been, like we talked about last week, if it had been Ashley Eckstein in makeup, I think it would have felt less seamless. Hmm. Because Ashley Eckstein just doesn't look like Ahsoka is drawn or animated right. in the cartoons. Yeah. So, it, you know, we would be like, oh, it's nice that they got Ashley. But people who don't know who Ashley Eckstein is and They'd just like, like casually watch the cartoon and then watch this, would be like, she doesn't look like Ahsoka at all. She's way too thin. She's not tall enough or whatever mm-hmm. Whatever the reason. Whatever. Right? They She's would not have muscular find... enough. Right. They find reasons, and that's that's true. Like you, if you're doing live action, you have to have to cast someone who looks like the character, right? Yeah, fair. like if you're doing, if you're gonna do a, a Superman movie now, and Superman's supposed to be 25 years old or whatever, you're like, oh, let's get Tim Daly. Well, Tim Daly's like 55 years old, right? right? Like it doesn't matter that he's maybe the best voice for the character. Mm-hmm. It's not the right 
live action acting choice right now because of circumstances of like the real world passage of time. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the fact that maybe he's, you know, not in as good a shape as like Henry Cavill is, right? Yeah, fair. So, because nobody is. <laughs> I know. Um, I was about to point that out. Well, too. he does a lot of computer assembling, right? And that takes a lot of. Yeah, of course. A lot of strength. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Got to lift those cores. So I think that Get it's. It? And, and you cores? see. And you see, but you see, like, especially younger Ahsoka. Yeah. Because when they, when they drew her in Rebels, or I keep saying drew, because that's just a shorthand I use for animation. Yeah, yeah. When they animated her in Rebels, she was a lot thinner. She kind of lost, like, a lot of the baby fat that she had in yes. Clone Wars. Rosario Dawson here has some of the rounder features that I feel like Ahsoka had originally. Mm. And so if you compare, like, the way Ahsoka was animated in Clone Wars to mm. Rosario Dawson, it's uncanny. But if you compare the more, quote-unquote, recent version of her in Rebels... Mm-hmm. To, to Rosario Dawson, the resemblance isn't quite as strong there. But I think that the Clone Wars version is like the prime version in everybody's minds. Yeah. Because she was the, so much on that show for so much longer. Right. That it's, it works just fine, even though age-wise does make a lot of sense. But maybe she was living rough during the, the rebellion time period. And she wasn't eating very much. And now she's gotten to to yeah. enjoy herself a bit more. And she's she's uh, she's a healthier weight again. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, I, I think that she did a really great job. What do you think? I, I absolutely agree. And I love um, going back to the previous episode. Like we knew that the the episode four leading up to the Jedi was going to be kind of a let's stall our wheels for a little bit uh, episode. And there was some cute comedy that said, hey, we're going to we're we really are trying to repair the ship, but there's just no hope of getting to the planet where we need to go. We need to swing by a safe haven for repairs. And that episode really delivered because the story meat of that episode didn't make you feel like you were stalling the wheels. And it had forward momentum in terms of uh, revealing that Moth Gideon was on the planet. You're or doing it, was... it again. Did you say Moth Gideon? I did. I did. I did say that. Why? What is it? It's Moth. Moth. Yeah. M-O-F-F. Yes. So we've had stupid. this conversation. It was even the title. Grand Moth Tarkin was even the title <laughs> of an episode like two years ago. I'm sorry. Um, Moth. <laughs> so dumb. Um... Oh, sure. <laughs> Moth is dumb, but Grogu is, is a perfect... Moth. doesn't sound silly at all <laughs> okay fair but moth is a title apparently so, it is yeah okay so somebody calling somebody a moth i would i would say what do you mean by that um man mon mothma who's the who's the woman that man mothma mon that- mothma <laughs> whoa we have we have fallen off the rails folks no seriously who's the who's the woman that like basically organized the rebellion mon, mon? so that you have mon moth you have moth moth, moth gideon moth gideon mon mothma mothma and then you so, have okay, so a moth right. yes and you have a muppet Moffet. and a muppet and <laughs> and you have little, little miss muffet yeah little miss muffet and you have and you have stephen muffet oh god Okay, there's a lot going on. Okay, I think we've covered all the mafia. It's not quite a mop, and it's not quite a puppet, <laughs> but man. <laughs> so to answer your question, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Um, always a Simpsons quote for everything. And uh, yeah, no, but episode four where we were on Navarro was really, really good. Um, it was nice. It moved things forward, like the Snoke bodies and the thing. But they weren't Snokes. That's I'm, I'm holding to it because everybody's saying, oh, Snoke, Snoke clones are. I'm like, no. You know how you could tell they weren't Snokes? Tell me. Because there were no snoking signs everywhere. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like it. I approve. I approve of this joke. Um, but then the Jedi, it was so good. I love the performances in it. I love the nods in the framing to Kurosame. 
Um, nope. Oh no. Kurosame is the Final Fantasy character. Oh my God, you're right. Akira Kurosa- Kurosawa. Kurosawa. Is the, is the Japanese director. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I was just playing DFFO earlier. Whoops. Um, Kurosawa. Yes, I really need to look up that that man's filmography because have you never seen a single Kurosawa not movie? One. You never even see, I, I, at least I've seen. So I can't profess to be all oh, both. You've never seen. Yeah. Kurosawa. I've at least seen Seven Samurai. I've seen one. I have not. I have not. Um, I think that was one of my dad's favorite films, um, but. I have to I have to look up the filmography for myself. The well, framing was Kurosawa from Yojimbo already, specifically. is already a huge influence this. on Star Wars. Mm. The plot of Star Wars is basically the plot of one of Kurosawa's movies, Hidden Fortress. Oh. And I only know that because it's like in every book ever about Star Wars. <laughs> so like George Lucas was influenced by Flash Gordon and classic Kurosawa movie, The Hidden Fortress. It's like that's just everybody knows. Everybody knows that. Okay. Like jo- well, I'll everybody, have to see that then. everybody knows that George Roddenberry called Star Star Trek Wagon Train to the Stars, and everybody knows that George Lucas based and and a little bit of Jack Kirby's uh, Fourth World in there. Oh, cool. Darth Vader is is um, Dark Side. Dark basically. Side. Yeah. Oh, nice, nice. But that's more like speculation that he might have some <laughs> Kirby stuff. Maybe, maybe, but no. I love, I love the Jedi. I love all appearances with um, Grogu and Ahsoka. I love the communication. I love the, I love the fact that the little tiny ball thing came back. Like that became a thing that um, Grogu really wanted to play with that particular fidget um, on the ship, and he had force powers that Ahsoka was trying to get him to use. But it was the Mandalorian that was able to get him to, you know, force fetch the the little tiny knob um, from the ship that he was so obsessed with. I just, I love their relationship. I love that it's not over. That I, I like the complexity of her not willing to train him because that that makes perfect sense that makes perfect sense more than anyone except more than maybe obi-wan yeah i mean for and for the same reason yeah although even obi-wan was willing to train luke but i feel like obi-wan was willing to train luke he had the same sense of well i don't know it's different obi-wan had a sense of failure for anakin but also a desire to sort of right that wrong in the next generation yes whereas ahsoka didn't fail anakin yeah. She just saw it happen, and she's like, "I don't want to see that again." Right? right. She's not personally invested in fixing. And then it Luke was on a similar journey too. Like he he had some baggage from his failure. Failure with Ben. Yeah. With Ben, yeah. and, and um, it almost to... made him not. Yeah, train I was Rey. getting flashbacks of Luke not wanting to train Ray when yeah. Ahsoka was. Yeah. But it, I mean, it's perfectly it's perfectly logical that somebody scarred by such deeply profound terrible events like traumatic experiences would be unwilling to even take the risk of that happening again especially with somebody so sweet and innocent and who has a really positive bond with somebody else um i feel like i feel like she's still she's got kind of like an unhealthy view of it though yeah because when she she says like it could even happen to the best of us and she's clearly talking about anakin i feel like the movie's want us to believe that Anakin was like the best Jedi ever, but I feel like it's not really there in the text, it's right? Not he, earned, in a lot yeah. of ways he was the worst Jedi ever, right? Uh, yeah. Like, he was he the most, broke all he, the rules. He was all the most the time. powerful. Yes. And he was a good man mostly. Yeah. Especially in like the Clone Wars series that actually made him like uh, likable. Really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um mm-hmm. but he had these deep flaws. Is, is, was he a better man than Yoda or, or Mace even Windu ben? or or, or Obi Wan? I doubt I it. I don't think so, no. right? Like that's not—he's not supposed to be the best guy ever. He's right. just supposed to be the most, the chosen one, the most powerful. But he couldn't live up to his whole point. That whole point of the character is he had these fatal flaws through no fault of his own, just like his upbringing or whatever. Right. That he couldn't live up to that. Right, right. right. That's the thing. Yeah. But she doesn't see it that way. No. And she's like, I feel like it'd be healthier for her for her to say, like he was a. It sounds harsh. I know you loved him a lot. He was like a big brother to you, but he was a 
bad seed from the beginning. It was always going to come to some kind of bad end, especially when forced into this weird monastic, yes. violent life of the Jedi. Yeah. It doesn't doesn't necessarily have to happen that way again. Yep. Right. Yep. She, I bet she would be a way better teacher. Anakin. I think she would be. Yeah. For all his faults, he was a pretty good teacher to her. Right. But I feel like he, she, yeah. was, she was... Mm, I say that because he was a good teacher to her. It was mostly her, her, right? He didn't get really off, do a lot of work. Right, not a whole lot. But and, I feel and, like also, it, and also this was before his own dark, darker turns. Like he took yeah, but he some made, darker he choices. He made a lot of mistakes along, with yeah. her though. Yeah. But I feel like she was the perfect kind of apprentice for him because she yes. had she had enough perspective to like... She took the best of what he was trying to teach him, but also tried to like be better than his worst choices, yeah. right? I, but I feel like she wouldn't have been as she wouldn't have been like if Obi-Wan had been her master. Yeah. Then Obi-Wan probably would have failed her the same way he failed Anakin, because yes. Obi-Wan, while a great man, was not necessarily the best teacher. Like he didn't always have the best perspective on his students, like what they needed. Right. Like right. he didn't give Anakin what he needed at all. Right. No. Um, I feel like Anakin and Ahsoka were kind of like they, they kind of like brought out the worst in each other sometimes, but also they brought out the best in each other. I feel like what, what's great about their relationship is that. They made each other better. Yes. You know? Yes. Like, he probably would have gone, he probably would have come to a bad end way sooner if he didn't have Ahsoka in his life. And she probably would have turned out way worse if she had had a different master. Because I feel like Anakin was exactly the master she needed, both to set a good and bad example for yes. her, you know? So I feel like that, that relationship really worked. But I feel like if she's like, look, I know I, you know, I loved him. He was like a big brother to me. But he had some real, he was really screwed up. And he, and he became a really bad guy. Yeah. And I can and I can do better than that, right? Yeah. Like I I feel like, but she doesn't quite have that perspective no. yet. And it's been like twenty five years yeah. since Order sixty six, but she still doesn't have that perspective. No. Um, I think she's really she's walking a pretty solitary path, and she's got nobody to really help her resolve her own trauma. And she's doing okay by herself because you can see that she's still trying to do good. Well, exactly. She's at her if heart been, still a wonderful person. If she'd person. been Luke in the Last Jedi, if she'd yeah. been a hermit, I don't think I would have liked that because her Luke was always like out to prove something like he he was always kind of probably luke luke was probably always going to flame out because he was always like trying to be the hero right uh, and, and uh -huh. it's eventually going to come back and bite you because you're going to overreach or you're going to make a mistake right yeah. and if you see yourself as the grand hero as soon as that bubble gets popped yeah you've got nothing you've got yeah. nothing to hang your sense of identity on right yep uh, ahsoka was never that way she was always more selfless right luke was a selfless selfless guy i'm not saying he wasn't but he always kind of had a bit of a hero complex yeah um ahsoka didn't right she was way more selfless like she was always trying to help she was always thinking of other people yeah you know more than herself and so even even when she's in this dark place she's still helping people yeah. right yeah and i feel like that really works if she'd been some weird hermit yeah i don't think i would have liked that as much and i think dave filoni knows that about her because he's been writing it for 10 years and he basically created the character right and he knows that's one thing that sets them apart yeah you know mm -hmm. anyway should we should we move on and talk about Star Trek a little bit? Yes. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to add the show continues to be awesome. And I really am looking forward to the next few episodes. Mm -hmm. So Star Trek, similarly to those two episodes of Star Wars, I feel like I like the second way more than the first. But I still like the first. The first was Scavengers. This is the one where Michael and Giorgio have to go rescue Book yes. from like there the slave labor of, thing. There were I lots liked of it. missed it felt opportunities. A little, it felt a little this. slight. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't a lot of meat there. I, I, I think it was really well done, but it wasn't my favorite episode. Yeah. Uh, Unification three. Um, this oh, is, is fascinating. So fascinating. I'm not trying to make a pun. Um, I mean, there's a lot of fan service in here. Obviously, like sure. Spock is named out many times. We could literally get to see uh, really, the Nimoy. characters actually stop for a second and watch a few minutes mm -hmm. of, Star of Star Trek: <laughs> The Next Generation yeah. as a hologram. Yeah. Um, 
Star Trek characters have a rich history of stopping and watching Star Trek, actually. Like, there's a lot of Star Trek episodes or movies where the characters oh, stop and watch yeah. old Star Trek. Like, the two-parter. With where, the cage? Yeah. Well, the two-parter where all the cast sort of sits around in a room and watches the cage. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. there's the beginning of Star Trek Three, where a bunch of people sit around and watch highlights from Star Trek Two. Then there's the beginning of Star Trek Four. Where the the Klingon lawyer and everybody and the Federation president are standing around watching the end of Star Trek Three, uh-huh. and the, so uh, and the destruction of the Enterprise and the death of the Klingon crew. Sure, um, that old chestnut. Encounter at Farpoint, where Riker sits and watches a recap of the first part of Encounter at Farpoint. It's a it's a rich it's a rich history of of uh, not to mention or that Riker, episode right where Riker was on the table for the entire time reliving most of the well sure shades of gray in, yeah not to mention the 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 running what's now thanks to lower decks become a running gag of Riker literally putting himself in and the, on the original NXO one Enterprise with Archer and just like hanging out with them all the time it's like yes. his, his favorite pastime that's right that's right yep. um, mm-hmm. well they had a you know it was a long road um, <laughs> to get them from, the, from there, there to here, here. Um, <laughs> yes. But um, so it's all it's a rich history of Star Trek characters watching Star Trek. But I mean, obviously, it's it's wonderful to see Leonard Nimoy here. And and it's not like, oh, let's just let's put Leonard Nimoy on the screen because that'll make people love this episode. It like literally is payoff to part of Burnham's story and her character arc where this was her brother Mm -hmm. and he's been dead for 800 years. And she doesn't quite know exactly how he died because nobody in this universe really knows how he died they didn't know they get shunted over to some weird parallel universe where everybody's young and sexy and there's lens flare (laughs) everywhere yeah (laughs) um and die there but they they think that he like died saving trying to save romulus and so on but regardless like he's been dead for so long and he became like this really old man (laughs) and she knows him when he looked like young hot ethan peck with his beard right Yep, yep So it's it's a sort of gives closure for her. She gets to see the man he became and the great things that he went on. Like yeah. one of the most accomplished captains and ambassadors yep. in Starfleet history and Federation history. Diplomats. Um, um, uh, a person and, who and then, did like beyond a social mission of unifying. To, well, and to, then gets and, to see the fruit of his. She gets to see the fruit of his labors, yes. and we, the audience, get to see the fruit of his labors, which is why it's called Unification Three. What he dedicated, like the last, I don't know, 30, 40, 40 years, years. We don't even know how much of his life to, which is bringing about the reunification of Romulus and Vulcan. We see here that ultimately it was successful? Question mark. Mostly successful. Mostly work successful. in progress. Work in progress. It's More always going to be work in progress. Right. So they've taken the. They're living together on the same planet now. That that planet is renamed renamed Navarre. Yeah. And there's Romulans and Vulcans living on the same planet, but it's not great because it's not super copacetic. But they're, it's they're, they're working a lot together of, and they're mm-hmm. living together, but there's still tension. And it's not like oh. Romulans, Vulcans, we haven't used those words in 500 years. Right. We're all just Navarians. No, there's like the planet's called Navarre, but there's the Romulans and the Vulcans. And uh-huh. it's like, it's not that they live in separate cities or something, or at least not so far as we know. Right. But, you know, there's there's separate demographics on the same planet. They haven't sure. become one blended culture yet. There's right. elements that have, that have been unified. Yeah. But and, you, and she's like uh, their the, symbol, the woman is which the is the Vulcan Itic yeah. symbol with the Romulan wing, bird wings. Mm-hmm. But you're like, did that happen naturally, or is that just somebody trying to kind of force it? You know, like, oh, now we're one people, so let's combine our emblem. Well, but I'm saying for some people, it depends on who you ask. But I'm saying it's it speaks to the fact that the this is a work in progress. It's been hundreds of years, but it's not. It hasn't reached its final endpoint yet. There's still yes, and there's still, and the whole episode is is almost about is as much about the lingering tensions and like political maneuvering. Yes, that, that it comes takes from this being. This piece, a, sort yeah, of, it's so, and and you get the feeling like it's been hundreds of years, but all it all it would take is like one bad day 
for it mm. to fall apart, mm-hmm. right? Like if this thing was like the whole reason why they didn't want to give Michael the data she wanted is because this would dredge up all these feelings, all, all this history about the burn, yep. which is contentious for all the reasons that, you know, the, the Romulans wanted to do the research. The Vulcans didn't want to do the research. The Federation forced them to do the research. They think they're responsible for the burn. It's been mm-hmm. a point of contention between the two cultures. Um, you know, this could cut, ca- this could cause like, I say, you know, civil war of some kind, but it could cause further distancing of the two right. peoples that could last for. And the, the Vulcans are not necessarily the most forgiving, open hearted people to begin with. It, it took hundreds of years to get to this point. Right. If they were to drift farther apart again, who knows how many more hundreds of years it could take it to take... even get back to this point. Right. right? Exactly. Exactly. Because um, Vulcans, as we know from all Star Trek, are space racists, right? To one yes. degree or another. Yes. Even when they're the warm, cuddly Vulcans, they're still usually space racists. Sure. Um, We've discussed this. They don't like humans. They don't like Andorians. They they don't like dogs. They don't like anybody. Well, like implies that they like would imply that they have a preference and they they profess to have no. They dislike everybody equally. They dislike. (laughs) That's why they're racist. Their disdain is from a logical perspective of their understanding of their yes of their own of of their own superiority. I think think, think that that's how they would argue it. I think the corpus of Star Trek would argue that their that their position is ultimately self defeating and when contrasted with the position of say earth which is very much like live and let live we like everybody yeah right look at the this the whole thing is that vulcans at the whole the 24th one, century earth. one of the cool things about enterprise was that humans had accomplished in just a couple hundred years yeah. but it took vulcans millennia to accomplish after their big last yes. war and moreover it only took archer 10 years to bring about a, a galaxy spanning federation yeah once they stepped their dip their toes into the wider universe Ga- Galact- whereas the vulcans had been part of the galactic community for centuries millennia didn't even and we're still kind of turtled up in their own little corner yes. right mm-hmm. so one could argue that star trek shows that and of course this is the whole moral of the show and humans are the star of the show so it's not surprising that the humans are the best but it shows that that's not their way is ultimately not the way to be right anyway Mm. um but yeah so we get that closure about the unification and the whole thing the part of the episode that worked i mean i love i love all that stuff because i mean i remember watching unification parts one and two 25 years ago and we watched it again just for fun like we've watched part one recently yeah yeah. it's so good but i mean the part that didn't work as well for me was i like the stuff with burnham and her mother it came like a little out of left oh her mother just happened to be picked up by the romulans but at the same time i really like how innocuous it was because it's like she didn't have this grand entrance she's no she's no special figure in the future history or anything like that she's just a woman who landed on a place and was saved by people and then was adopted into this culture not knowing if she She'd ever see her daughter again, ever see her home again. She just made herself a new life where she landed and where she was able to recover safely. And I think that's so great. And it's really, really remarkable that they're able to cross paths. And I think that's kind of a special way to reintroduce her. I saw someone on Reddit say that it continues the tradition in, in parts one and two of unification of a mysterious character stepping out of the shadows or being mysteriously revealed. Oh. Like Spock did it, Sela did it, and now uh, now Michael's, Michael's mother mom is like did mysteriously it. Yes. revealed. Very good. Um, Very good but observation. The part that, that, that didn't work for me as well was like, I understand why they did it and like even in the, like why the writers did it and even in the context of the show why it was necessary to kind of make the tribunal inquest, thesis defense, whatever you want to call it. Sure. Kind of all <laughs> about Michael's great. baggage. I understand, I understand why Michael's mother made it and michael wasn't making it about herself michael's mother was making it about michael because she kind of needed to tear michael down yes. in order to like try to gain the trust of the people and have yes. michael be more honest with herself i understand within the context of the episode but part of me was like i i i, I was hoping for like cause star trek has this rich history of like 
debates, courtroom scenes, right? Like yes. Kirk was on trial for court martial or measure of a man or right. whatever, like debates and and yeah. reasoned inquisitions mm-hmm. yep. and like trials. And I was, but I was there like, they it just became another this. excuse for Michael to get for everything to be about Michael and for Michael to get super emotional to make everything about Michael's history. I mean, like, you could make that same argument about all of those episodes that you just listed. You could make the same argument about how Picard uh, wasn't. That episode didn't become about Picard's emotional no, baggage. It no, was all it about data and it was about the facts. Um, in that case, it was, but they, they also covered, okay, we can get into the nitty gritty of that, but I don't want to drag this out for too long. My point is this, whenever the trial reaches a heated moment, they always try to attack the character witness, no matter what trial it is. It's always in Perry Mason. It's always yeah, in the, that's the, the Star things Trek I liked trials about and everything measure, measure of a Man. Measure Nobody, of a Man was different. I'm not going to compare Riker that and Riker didn't attack Picard. Nobody no. even tried to attack Maddox, particularly. No, but they were trying to, a little... They did though. They questioned a little. They, they questioned they, they his motives. Even, they didn't even really. They were it, Picard was approaching it purely from a factual basis, and then at the end, he made sort of an appeal to the higher-minded ideals of the Federation. I mean, right? yeah, like, yeah. We don't want to create a slave race. I don't want to again. We're about. Right. I, again, I don't want to. I don't want to. I um, just wanted maybe. I mean, I'm, they I'm, didn't get into the nitty-gritty on that to, one. I'm episode, willing to admit that it's, it's subjective. Right. Like, I, and I didn't dislike the episode or dislike this part necessarily. Right. But it, part of me was like, oh man, they're going to go in there. It's like the or, or like the Deep Space Nine episode where Worf. The, uh, commanding the Defiant blew up a ship that he shouldn't have, right? right? And Worf's on trial, and there's this Klingon lawyer that right. comes in, and it's like a Rashomon thing. Like, everybody remembers right. it slightly differently. Like, I right. wanted another thing. Not that this was a trial or it was really about things that had happened in the past. Yeah. It was about, oh, we, we want this data. Oh, we don't want you to have this data. I, you probably couldn't make a 30-minute tense courtroom scene about that because there's just not enough there. It had to be about something else. Yes. But... Part of me is just like, I, I kind of wanted it to be But it was about, about many things else. But it, maybe it was like, oh, Michael's figuring out, Michael figures out some cool fact about Navarre and yeah, their cultural cool. history that she can leverage to get them to come over to her side. I wanted it to be more about the Vulcans and the Romulans because that was the more interesting part of the episode to me. And again, yes. it, it ended up being all about Michael again. Mm. And she didn't even convince them or really even try to convince them at the end. It's kind of like she gave up. And in giving up, she ended up winning. So... I, I I didn't I, I liked it I'm sorry I liked it, it was you know a, why it was because a clever twist but I just I really would have rather it had been a bit more straight straightforward because I that was kind of what I was hoping to see but. I don't think they gave us enough material to be able to predict something that she could be able to pull out of that they gave us all the data that we needed for her to walk in there they also warned us that and this is so human and so normal as a part of regular procedure that when you are interrogating somebody to give their testimony part of the reason to part part of the trial process is to make sure that you can trust the person giving the testimony and the uh, the opposition is absolutely going to try to tear them down poke holes well, in them try yes to ruin no. their credibility you can, you can and try that's to, what this was you about you can try to undermine their credibility yes. but generally the witness takes an oath and you kind of have to as- go, go forward faith. assuming that they're going to tell the truth unless you have a specific reason not to. But like, this is, that's why. That's why you know. You, well, if, they don't know this. If a, if a lawyer is cross-examining yeah. and they get to, there's like, oh, badgering the witness, or you know, this is this is irrelevant or whatever. Like you're supposed to, in theory. Like I know we've all watched too many courtroom yeah. dramas and stuff. Yeah. Where everything gets super heated and everybody's shouting and talking out of turn and everything. But in theory, in a courtroom, you're supposed to confine yourselves to the facts. You're supposed mm-hmm. to ask simple questions. And the witness is supposed to give simple yes or no answers or factual statements or recounts to the best of their ability. Yep. And you present it to the jury and the jury makes their decision or the judge makes their decision. It's not supposed to be about, I'm going to, like, I know we've yeah, all yeah. seen A Few Good Men, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you're not supposed to spend 15 minutes break tearing the witness down 
hoping that they're going to start crying and reveal some terrible truth about themselves or something they did, right? Right, right. Generally, that's not... I mean, I'm sure it happens mm -hmm. even in real life, yeah. but probably 0.001% of the time. Most yeah. of the time, it's probably just really, really boring, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. So I understand why it's a drama. They want to do that. And I think... and. You know, and I felt that it was set up well because her mother is one of the co-op Malat, right? And she's absolute candor. And also she's Michael's mother. Yep. And she wants to show Michael something that she needs to. And Michael's at this point in her Tough life love, yeah. where she's like, she's questioning where she belongs. And Michael and Michael's mother is trying to, A, you know, tear Michael down in hopes of like, I guess you can't really win the sympathy of a Vulcan. But and like showing the Vulcans that she has she's she's laying her soul bare she has no ulterior motives right. she actually does want this thing for honest reasons and she's not trying to manipulate them mm -hmm. and also to give her daughter some tough love and show her you yeah. know what she I mean, truly believes and what she purposes, truly wants yeah. to be but it's like we're talking about the disco discovering the source of the burn which has killed billions of people and billions, crippled the galaxy trillions. for over a century yeah. maybe focus on that and yeah. not not giving your daughter some tough luck. Where oh, Michael's like, oh, do I belong in Starfleet or don't I? Let's deal with that tomorrow. Let's figure out what caused the burn. You know, like that's much more important right now. You know what I mean? It's like of all the times to make this about Michael and, and being a mother. You know what I mean? Like, let's keep our eye on the ball here, people. Like, let's get the data and then you can give Michael some tough love. Like, I feel like it was kind of like unprofessional. I understand the whole co-op Malat thing, but it's like time and a place, lady, right? Like... Let's get the data and, and then... I couldn't disagree with you more. That was absolutely the time and the place because she also, as a clever woman, like she, she saw that Michael's testimony, her daughter's testimony, was not going to win over the tribunal. If she had any chance of winning, she needed to show some a either vulnerability that had nothing to do with... Um, and, and truth saying and, and thing, not only that but she had a vulnerability oath. to a Vulcan is not going to no, win them over no it's not going to win them over so because that, of an emotional thing I know I understand but because because of their because they have to play by the rules no matter what like they still have to play by the but rules but wouldn't it in retrospect have been just as effective for her mother to say to Michael look you're not going to win them over with the facts because it's like the whole saying like it's hard to convince a man of the truth when uh, uh, of something when their livelihood depends on them not you know, believing it, yeah. believing it. It's like you're not going to convince. There's too many entrenched political uh, positions here in this yeah. courtroom. Yeah, it doesn't matter how right you are. You're not going to convince them based on the facts. You're not going to be able to appeal to their emotions because most of the <laughs> tribunal yeah. doesn't have any emotions. Yeah. So the thing to do is do the do the thing that nobody's expecting, which is withdraw. What she ultimately did, right? Yes. And obviously they didn't. They had no way of knowing for sure that that was going to work. But I feel right. like that's literally the only card they could have played. Mm. So. What instead of like going through the whole emotional turmoil thing, they yeah. should have been like they should have sat down with Saru or whatever, and they should have been, and and they should have been like, look, what's the one thing we can do that nobody's expecting that has even a chance of of winning, mm -hmm. of of getting what we want? Yeah. Let's try this thing, um, and and instead it's like no, we gotta you know we watch her cry for half an hour and then we do the thing, right? And I understand that maybe the idea didn't occur to them or that it wouldn't have worked without a certain amount of lead up, but I feel like yeah, like do the thing, don't. You know what I mean? Don't make it all about your emotional baggage for half an hour, then do the thing that works. Because I feel like the thing that worked was not at all dependent upon your emotional baggage, right? Mm -hmm. It was it was this showing them, and that was great. Like, that was a totally great, I love that bit of writing, great Star Trek thing to do, right? Like, so, like you may not trust me, but I'm going to show that I trust you, right? Yeah. You, the, the, the integrity of your, of your society, the tenuous mm -hmm. integrity of your society is more important right now than me getting what I want. Even if I think what I want is more important, yeah, I'm trusting, you know, I'm trusting you, right? So I withdraw my claim. 
that was that was great. Like I really thought yeah, that was too. smart. Yeah, me too. That was so good. What would have been? I feel like then it was a little too easy because then she immediately gets the data anyway. Well, yeah, but it wasn't guaranteed. Like that I know. was a, that was a nice surprise. And not only that, but her mom. This is this is another reason and why I, I think she probably hold on, hold on, my just, turn. Just just to finish my thought, I feel like as much as I said, oh, they could have gone in, and that could have been Plan A. I feel like in retrospect, now I now I sort of doubt myself because I feel like. Michael, maybe she hoped that that would be the result of her withdrawing her request. But I feel like she withdrew her request for Sincerely. mostly the sincere reasons yeah. that she said she would. Yeah. But I think Michael did it for I sincere I feel like reasons. it still worked out for her. But I think her mother probably saw... Helped. Well, her because her mother has more insight into like the way that this but society she, works. She was saying since the very beginning that first off, you don't know what you're walking into. You really don't know. You are walking into a room right. full of blind spots. And this is this this is the thing that makes me tip. This isn't the thing that makes me think that her mom is more of a strategist than we are giving her credit for. Because I think also an ulterior motive in terms of getting her daughter to serve the motives of ultimate candor, make her break down so publicly and and you know admit her shames and her faults and also you know deal with her own um you know in between worlds identity crisis in the moment um i think that was important but i think also it was in service of the other person in the room that is to say the president, the president. she was That's saying since the, the beginning yeah. since the beginning that those three people are not the only people in the room yeah and you true. need to think about that Michael wasn't thinking about that. But I think that in, in breaking her down that way and being her honest self, because there are two things at play. One, Michael's mom knew that her daughter was a woman of good character and that she really wouldn't didn't want the destruction of everything that her brother spent his entire life building towards. And two, she knew that Michael was trustworthy. And even though she was mixed up, she was a good person person and she wanted to show those two things to the tribunal and to everybody at large and she knew that it would m probably play on the sympathies of the president who was ultimately in charge of the final decision well, the thing that i would say that i i think you're i think you're you're mostly right but the vulcan president also though is a vulcan yes so i do question as sympathetic a character as she was portrayed as in the episode certainly she was the most reasonable and likable yes. of the vulcan or romulan characters in the episode she's still ultimately a vulcan and so i i do wonder how much of her decision to ultimately release the data was due to all the emotional stuff that you just described because would that really have the same effect on a Vulcan that we... First off, it, it depends would? on the Vulcan. Second off, you have to remember the fact that everybody keeps trying to suppress. They say Vulcans sure. suppress yeah, their know, emotions. That doesn't mean they don't have any. For the sake of... For the sake of I mean... We, but we've seen plenty of evidence. Yes, as much as Vulcans have emotions, they know they very, very. And I gotta act say, the woman so who was playing the president. Oh my God, I love her so yeah, she was much. Really good. She was so good, and the way they framed it too. Whoever directed this episode, pff, ace job, I, I do, So what I will say is that I yes, you're right. I hadn't factored the the president in there, but I do I do wonder how much the emotional turmoil would have helped would have would have affected the president much in the same way that i'm not sure how much it would affect but i do think that that where where, you, where i think you're you're perhaps more right is that i think that ultimately what michael's mother assuming michael's mother even had some grand plan i think maybe she, she was did. just to be honest it, i think she's that smart i think she realized that michael because michael does have this savior complex and yes. she does <laughs> think she, she does think yeah. she's right almost all the time even when she's not right like she gets multiple mutinies right some yeah. of which were warranted arguably others maybe not as much right so she yeah. she thinks she's right almost all the time right yes, yes. um 
if you had gone to her and say, look, here's what you got to do. You got to withdraw your request. Mm. She'd be like, I'm not going to withdraw my request. I'm right. Right. I've got the facts on my side. Right. And she's right. She does have the facts. She does. She's and like, that, that's right. where her beginning was I'm in gonna the beginning. I'm going to go in there. These are Vulcans. That was they're her reasonable. Yep. They're logical. That I'm was exactly her facts. approach. She, yep. If her mother had said, look, what would really work here is withdrawing your request because then they're going to see that you're truthful and honest. Right. Mm. Ultimately, what worked. But you wouldn't have been able to convince Michael that that would be the right play. At, at the beginning of the episode. She would have thought that she, was illogical. She would have, she would have been like, no, I'm going to go in there. I'll be right. able to convince them, right? Yep. It was only by breaking her down, yes. making her realize mm-hmm. maybe the ways in which she's been too arrogant or too, uh, and like the ways in which she lacks perspective on herself. Yep. That was what got her. So it wasn't so much breaking her down. So to me, I mean, who knows? We're probably both right to a certain degree, but breaking her down wasn't so much about demonstrating the, that vulnerability to the tribunal or to the president. To me, it was more about getting Michael herself to realize what what she had to do, which yes. was withdrawing the request. And that was a place she wouldn't have gotten to without being broken yes. down and built back up like that. Yes. And and that was what ultimately won the day. So I, I, think, I feel so like I think that, that, that wasn't was, a strategy, but honestly, there was two. There was another motive at play. This is this is why this episode is so good. It's so complex. But they knew that she knew that we knew that they knew. Yes, exactly. So if you do no, a but, wipe. Right, exactly. So so anyway, um, and don't interrupt me when I'm in the middle of a thought. It, it just breaks my thought. Um, <laughs> uh, it's it's important for us to understand that Michael Doi really needed... Stop it. <laughs> that Michael really needed to see what it, who she was dealing with. Because yes, Navarre, that's the other thing, yeah. Navarre was v- presented as a stable, unified society. But they were not. Right, that's, they kind of, that's were the same. Still that's very, the other side yeah, of what I'm saying. Complex, like, broken, and Michael everything else. Michael needed to see that. Michael yes. was making because she yes. almost always makes yes. it all about. It's like I was saying. She always thinks she's right. right. She has a savior she, complex. She always makes it all about her. She does very much similar. Right. Oh, I need to get to the point. This is the right thing to do. We need to do this. And and, and she was you know, raised on Vulcan, so she also has this this attitude of like well, the sure. facts. No, well, just, no, it's like the facts will win out, right? Because exactly. Vulcans, I lived on Vulcan. I'm a logical person. They'll be even though she's probably the most emotional Star Trek character ever. But regardless, sure. Um, she's like, I, I was raised on Vulcan. I know Vulcans. Vulcans are logical. Mm-hmm. Present them with the facts, and yep. then they're But so but yeah, it sort of didn't she compute did, for she her didn't that there was something else. She that, didn't yep. understand all the intricacies yep. of the society, and Michael's mother did. So she needed to. She needed to. She needed to have her eyes open to yeah, who she was exactly. talking to. Breaking yes, Michael down. Breaking Michael down wasn't just about Michael realizing her own flaws. It's about it how she about, was received in. Well, that. It, yeah. it kind of wasn't. I mean, it was. It was about her realizing her own flaws and mistakes and, and and perspective. But part of that is one of those flaws is that I'm assuming that I know everything I need to know about this culture that a- I haven't I been don't. a part of for a thousand years. Right. It's about her realizing how little she knows yes. and how wrong she can be sometimes. Yes. And that was what caused her to, yeah, it was about giving her perspective yeah. basically and on herself was- and on Navarre. And that's why it was important, I think, for the president to see that, too, because obviously the president is dealing with multiple complexities. This this tribunal is, yeah, a, is a, a representation. Job. I don't want that. Job. Yeah, exactly. It's a representation of what she has to deal with day to day, keeping the society together. And she seems to be the one holding it all in, in check. She's she, the Joe she, Biden the of Star Trek, basically. She's going <laughs> yeah. to be given an impossible task yeah. to hold these two disparate <laughs> demographics together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah. um, but. It was important, and and you say that the vulnerability isn't what will appeal to her, but no, her integrity and her 
Just right. who her her identity. I just think that ultimately the, per, the, the withdrawal of the, she, the request was what demonstrated her integrity more to the because, most. Because how, yes, to everybody. Because everybody. She, Vulcans haven't been part of the Federation for a hundred years. Yeah. This this president probably hasn't even met another. She look. No. It's hard to tell Vulcan ages, but she might not have even met a human before, right? Who knows? Potentially. For all she knows, Michael's emotional display during the tribunal could be some act or because because yes. vulcans are told all sorts of things about how overly emotional humans can be right of it's course. only when they interact with them for long periods of time that, that they, they become super be. chill about it right yeah, yeah um she's like oh they're probably trying to up and even the vulcan the even the people in the tribunal i feel were saying as much was like you can't appeal to our you're trying to make an emotional appeal it's not going to work on right. us right mm-hmm. yep they might have they and they probably see that as as you know insincere or or facile at best and like overtly manipulative and deceitful at worst yes right? yes like mm-hmm. you're trying to you're trying to trick us by appealing Being to emotions, emotions we don't have yeah. right and that, that could easily backfire right yeah. so that's why i feel like ultimately it was the withdrawal of the request that won over the president and all the emotional fireworks that preceded it were necessary to get michael to that point yes but probably had less so to do with getting the president to that point from my perspective anyway yes. but i but we know so little about her and like exactly what's going on with her, maybe she's. I mean, she clearly was intrigued mm-hmm. about by Saru and the discovery and the prospect of the Federation and what the Federation yes. used to mean. She was like Federation curious. Yeah, <laughs> she she she. I think she was a good leader because she was also willing to listen. She wasn't willing to compromise. She wasn't willing to take risks, but she was willing to listen. Well, and the fact that... Saru, giving the data over at the confer- end is a huge risk. Oh, yes, I don't I know. know if it was done under the table or not, but even if it was, doesn't if know, it comes out, matter, it's yeah. going to be a huge... Oh, yeah. That that would... Yes, it would do exactly what she said. But I think she did it because she knew that Michael wouldn't exactly publicize it in next week's ledger. Like, well, that's it wouldn't- true, but you can imagine a million ways when it could come... Like, so so, so what do you... What's, what's the end game here, right? You give the data to Michael. Michael goes away a year later the michael and the discovery and starfleet have discovered the true cause of the burn They're right like, and they come the back. true cause of the burn we're going to put the federation back together let's start with lavar let's lavar Le, no lavar <laughs> let's start with lavar burton we'll yeah. get him back mm-hmm. um no we've figured out we're going to put the federation back together now that we've solved the burn and beaten the bad guys let's go to navar and tell them why they can be part of the federation again navar we'd like you to be part of the federation again oh we can't do that we're still mad that we caused the burn oh but now we, we've proven that you didn't cause the burn really how do you know that um, we were given data by mm, 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 right? Like, right, right, right. Eventually, right. that's going to come. Like, there's no it scenario. It will eventually. Yes, it will eventually come out. But that's uh, she trusts that. <sighs> I don't know. She trusts Michael. I think she's, to, to, she's optimistic. I think yeah. she. I think she has faith in the stability, such as it is, of the Romulan Vulcan peace. Yes. I think she has faith in. Michael, she has faith in the ideals of Starfleet and the Federation that when push comes to shove, the people that she is the leader of will like come down on the right side of history, right? Yeah, They'll be able I to overcome so their yes. worst selves. And, and you know, that's the true faith of the heart. <laughs> very nice, very nice. Um, no, it's, it's true now as it was when, what's his name, sang about it so in, many, in yep. 2001. Mm-hmm, yep. Um, I think that, I think that's part of it. But I also think that as tenuous as it would be to give it up when the unknown is known. <laughs> um, well, there's known to, unknowns. Right. The, and then the known knowns. Um, no, at, the president isn't going to publicize to her own people. I'm pretty sure that, that she, she surrendered this data. <laughs> Guys, no, guess what I totally just did. I just did You're this. You're not going to believe Live this. Live tweet. Okay. Um, no, 
I don't think that. Ten shocking secrets about the burn. And I think that she tries. Right. So in a year, in that theoretical year or whatever, she'll continue her work of of continuing unification. And then if they were to come back with the solution to the burn, I think that ultimately, um, if she were to say, yes, we helped them come to this conclusion because of sharing this data. And I think that this is a good demonstration of why that was the right decision. I don't think the people having... having had their name cleared, having been vindicated of this horrible tragedy that that just destroyed the galaxy for the better part of it for, for over a century, I don't think that people who were exonerated from that emotional guilt and weight of, of that responsibility would really hold it against the president and riot in the streets as they would now without answers, without trust, without faith. You know, she's the one that took the risk on their behalf. The right. And um, Vulcans wouldn't riot. They just sort of like furrow their brows slightly. Yes, they would. Yeah. Or raise one of them, which is really crazy. Um, the Romulans would be like, okay, guys, we had a good run. Yep. Let's get, let's get the shoulder pads back. We're going back to the old ways. Yep. Where'd I park my bird? Give me some spiky bandoliers and shoulder pads. Yep. Bowl cuts for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but no, I, I just don't think so. I I think it was a good call. This was a very good episode. It was full of, of complexity. It was full of emotion. Yeah. And co- I and, love and- the president. Hold on. I'll, one last thing I'll say about this episode, and then you take the floor. Um the Vul- the the Vulcan president talking to Saru, those two scenes were just, I mean, those th- two or three scenes when they were just having a conversation about trust given, trust earned, um, what happened, history, Saru's compassion when he just wanted to hear the story. He's like, listen, we took a risk in even telling you that we're time travelers. There's a lot of bad things that could happen as a result of us sharing that information with you. And we took that risk anyway because it was important. It was important to, to put our cards on the table to show you multiple things. First off, that we're not here to trick anybody. And second off, that, you know, this is why we don't know what we don't know. So we're here in really good faith um, and we're here to listen. And that was so important. And Saru was the best person to be that diplomat because he means it. He means it. We didn't even talk about the whole Tilly thing. Maybe we can talk about that next week. Oh my God! Tilly. But I was, all I wanted to oh say God. was all I wanted to say, say was yes. that I, I think that, I think <laughs> so that the uh, yeah the issue that I had with that with that scene, I think in talking talking it through just now, I think that it's actually kind of made me like it more because I I think that I I think that I was sort of put off initially because I wanted more of everything but emotional fireworks from michael okay. i wanted more about we got a lot of non-emotional the there was a, a, a some total I was, of i wanted more i wanted more like the romulan vulcan politics yeah. i wanted more scenes with saru and the president like you said because that was so great or even oh, more just so scenes good. with like michael and her mother cats it's not like i dislike michael i like michael yeah i just feel like i feel like we've had a lot of episodes where michael gets super super emotional mm-hmm. and breaks down mm-hmm. and i feel like i don't want to see any more of that for a little while because i feel like it's like you know Either the, a joyful reunion with someone or falling in love with someone or or saying goodbye to someone right. or being reunited with someone or being embarrassed in front of a Romulan Vulcan tribunal by someone. Right. All the things that we've all experienced in our day-to-day lives. Um, but it's like super emotionally heightened every time. But right. Discovery is like a very uniquely emotionally heightened show out of the entire Star Trek you know, yeah. like the scene, the whole say yes scene that you were that you, yes. you just mentioned, like that's not a so scene good. you would never in a million nope. years see that in Next Generation, nope. or even in Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. maybe Deep Space Nine, maybe Deep Space had, like, Nine, kind of like that ha- homier, a like heart, yeah. you know, um, I could see it there, yeah, but yeah, I mean, so so I think that that's what's what's yeah. So I think that it's you've actually helped me talk through some of my, but it's, I think in the moment I think that like oh god she's getting emotional again. Can we see more of like 
the 10 other super interesting things yeah i have in this so episode. many more questions or more I of the tilly answer. stuff yeah. like that's super interesting too but like now we've got to be like michael's emotional baggage again hopefully now that hopefully here she's been we'll break him back down <laughs> build her back up break her back down then lunch then if there's time build her back up again right <laughs> yeah um hopefully she's in a good place now right uh-huh. She's she's decided that her true place is on Discovery with yep. Starfleet. Mm-hmm. The fact Book that has some she's in love with Book, but yeah. Book wants to leave. So it's like that makes Book me kind of nervous. We're going to see another yeah. emotional goodbye next episode, which I could do without. I don't Nevertheless, know. I'm hoping that she's worked through enough of her issues now that it's going to be like, okay, I know where I am. I know what my priorities are. Right. I know what I want out of life. You know? Mm-hmm. So that's... I don't know. I think Book might might stick around because for all of his wanderlust, the fact that he held her close and he said, "You feel like home." Oh my God, are you kidding? Like, yeah, but he it's going? not. He he, he he could go on his side missions, but then come all... back. Like he has a different job, so he doesn't work that, with Discovery. I'm not sure but... practically that would really work though, because mm. Discovery is jumping all over the place and, and and with the spore drive. Like he's so like, okay, so you're on the missions. other side of the galaxy. It's going to take me seventy years to get back. Or do they all come back and pick him up every time? That's they not go practical, back and, right? Well, maybe. I, know. I know we have to go back and report to Admiral Vance. Can we swing by and pick my boy up, boyfriend up first every single time? You know what I mean? Yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure that's practical. I don't but. know. I don't know. I I don't know. With some coordination, it's we'll possible. See. I'm sure that other people have loved ones on the ship. I don't know. No. no, no nobody, everybody has, nobody else. Everybody else. Everybody, everybody else has been everybody. dead for 900 years. Well, she met somebody new. So she's been here for a year by herself. She met somebody new. How long will it be before someone on the crew discovers like the, the their great, 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 great niece or something? Ooh. Like somebody's going to... I mean, I guess Michael just discovered her mother. But how long will it be until somebody discovers... The, the the you know the relative 10 generations removed of somebody they knew like it's going to happen eventually right yeah. oh i'm joe tilly you're you know <laughs> that'd be great anyway yeah well that, i don't know that's it we'll see oh such good show such good um such a good show so like i said we kept it to a very high level brief discussion yes of very all of these brief topics. oh my god <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, sorry, not sorry. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed all of our beautiful discussions about this. Um, we continue to geek out. There's ever so much more that we could say. Honestly, the, all of these shows are so good and we've only covered two of them. Yep. That's what happened. So if you want to reach out to the show, <laughs> we have an email address, mailbag at smartspodcast.com. On Twitter, we are at smartspodcast. On Facebook, it's facebook.com slash smartspodcast. And our website where all the good things happen, www.smartspodcast.com. How about a funny sound for us? Uh, He raised an eyebrow. I think that'll do. Yes.